our retirement. No, we're so far from retirement. Um, to the auction house that we run now, Pot of Gold Auctions is a, our, one of our active businesses. The other is a firearm store, AZ Firearms. And the those two at least had some, you know, it made sense that we ended up where we are with those two because Dan grew up in the gun business. His dad used to run all the gun shows in Phoenix. His name is Curtis Todd. And um, Dan just has like an encyclopedic knowledge of the tools. And I have a passion for the issues, the politics, the, the nonsense part of what we are constantly trying to work against in, in this industry, which is one of the most highly federally regulated industries there is. And yet to hear the, the nightly news, it sounds like it's, you know, complete mayhem in the Wild West all the time. So uh, we, the radio show came out of an idea to just really kind of have a, a marketing piece. And we had a friend who had a, a radio show on a station in Phoenix. Hmm? Go, get outdoors with Mike Russell. And so uh, Mike was trying to learn more about the equipment, guns, and Dan knows a lot about it. And so he said, hey, why don't you guys come on? We'll make it kind of a marketing piece for your store. And because I was the only one that would actually plan for the segment, we ended up talking about issues because that's what I know, right? Instead of talking about the, <laughs> I just have issues. My issues have issues. And, uh, and so it was going along really well. It was getting traction. The listeners were engaged. And then the station was like, wait a minute. Uh, are we talking about guns? Because, uh, you know, we don't really like want to do that here. And so we, in a matter of a weekend, they basically said, you can, you can live out your contract, but we're not going to renew you. We thought we were preparing for a future there. And so we said, well, since there's no future there, we're, we're okay ripping up the contract. They were very okay with ripping up the contract. And uh, then next weekend, we were on a different station. We were on a AM station, the Patriot. We were there for about a, I don't know, six months or a year. And now we're on an internet-based station. Um, if anybody knows the name Dave Pratt, he was a, a Phoenix wild man, morning show DJ. And he is now a very uh, serious businessman and owns the Star Worldwide Networks that, that we are on. So, you know, what the heck am I doing being a radio show host? I, I don't know, but it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, I find that people seem to be very hungry for the, the topics that we talk about and the people that we bring on. I don't ever want to be the expert. I want to bring on experts and, and be that vehicle that I was talking about earlier with uh, Dave Workman, that I'm not a journalist. I'm not going to go out and interview people to put a story together. I would rather bring you know the people in that are actually out there doing it onto our show. And um, it's just really... Uh, an awesome opportunity because as we went through the election where President Obama was elected the first time, everything just started shifting. The conversation shifted. The, the way that people saw firearms shifted. The way that people saw people who owned firearms shifted. And if you sold firearms in a gun store, you were the purveyor of death. And I'm like, that 
does not describe me. That is not who I am. And so I can influence my small circle of influence, friends and family, but how, how do we go beyond that? And so we found that with the radio show and writing blogs. I write a blog for Women's Outdoor News every month. Um, and it's just really opening people's minds, opening doors. And then something else that I, I have been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, a lot of these decisions about how people should think and feel about guns, gun owners, and those who sell guns are coming out of the boardrooms, right? So let's look at Levi's, let's look at Dick's Sporting Goods, let's look at these kind of places. And I was a, uh, the chair of the uh, local chamber of commerce last year. And I started thinking, you know, I'm, that is a beautiful way to sort of influence and infiltrate, you know, if we were to involve ourselves and, and get onto boards and that sort of thing, you don't have to go in there, you know, screaming, Hey, I'm a, I'm a gun enthusiast. I'm a two way uh, advocate. You just are serving, but it just comes out of our pores, what we love and what we know and what we believe in. And that way we can influence others. Um, Beth and I and a few others in the room have had the amazing opportunity um, to be part of the DC project. And that is direct advocacy where we go and sit down with our elected officials. The DC project is 50 women, one from each state. There's a couple more of our DC project ladies there. And we, we don't go in with an ask. We're not lobbyists. We're just saying, hey, I'm here. And, you know, I'm an, the unknown base of the Second Amendment. Here's why I value my rights. And we really create some cognitive dissonance for some of the people's offices that we sit in. I see Beth nodding because we sat in with a a Republican, he had the, the, the big R on his chest, I'm a Republican, and the entire time we were talking to him, he was trying to discourage us, and if he was going to encourage us to do anything, it was to compromise, right? You just wanted to move the ball anywhere, you know, you gun ladies are just going to have to compromise, and, and I said, you know, with all due respect, because I'm not even from your state, you have to hear me, I appreciate being in your office. But I don't hear the other side saying that ever, right? And so um, we've compromised, and you go down the list from where it started, 1934, 1968, right? All the times we've compromised uh, with the laws. And, um, but it is a way to move the ball. It's a way to influence, and it's a way to cause that cognitive dis dissonance. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to share with you from where I come from, how I got into the position I'm in now, and by being so active, by being so vocal, just speaking up, I've had amazing opportunities. I had to speak on the steps of the Supreme Court building to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Heller versus DC. Like what? Like I'm looking behind, I'm, me? You Okay, give me a microphone, I'm up, let's do this. Yes, sir. There's a chair of the Chamber of Commerce, yes. ACCDL. Okay. And some of those individuals you have on your show 
arguing resource for the uh, politicians or their staff, the people with questions on the market. So my, that's a great question. Thank you, Rob, for that. Um, our biggest success story with that is because I was on the Chamber of Commerce, I met a local businessman who also happens to be a state representative with a D on his chest. He's a Democrat, but he's a customer of our store. He's a gun owner, right? He values his Second Amendment. There's a lot of people out there like that. So he helps me remember not to just start, you know, to, to be careful about my language, not to just basket everybody into, well, all those Democrats, all those liberals hate our gun. No, there's a lot of people that aren't like that. And if I speak like that, I can't invite them in. I'm going to lose them immediately. Um, but he had some incidents happen in his district in Arizona. A couple of kids got hurt with guns because they weren't trained properly. Family didn't have them stored properly. And he was invited on the news. And before he got on the news, he called me called me because we knew each other from the chamber and he said what would you say if they were to ask you i said first of all thank you so much for reaching out to me and asking me that question second of all it's simple we are always about empowering our youth with education and training and there is a program called eddie eagle it's with the nra i don't know if you can use the name nra or one station you're going on that might kill the story if you just want to talk about eddie eagle there's child safe through the nssf uh, organization and he he, I, I, he said i've never never heard of either one of those so to me that was home run after home run after home run and he's still in office he was just i believe newly elected um he you know the thing is he liked me first then we had to sort out oh how do we feel about each other's political things right or how do you feel about the gun thing but the point was he liked me and it was too late <laughs> right too late he already liked me and so then he had to kind of take the whole package he couldn't pick and choose the pieces he liked and the pieces that he didn't so um that's something that we can de all definitely be doing with with our efforts um so just to see what everybody's thinking about the morning um did anybody have something they wanted to share something that was kind of like still stewing around in your brain like yeah, i just want to explore more something that maybe argo j said or or something that uh that, Drew Berquist said, or something that Amanda said. Yes, Kevin. I'll make a general statement. But I will say from everybody that was speaking, um, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to give away what I'm going to talk about later, but there's something that this room needs to remember. Um, you can't keep saying, because you saw Argo, uh, you saw Mr. Pew Pew, that is a cool man. You know, you, you see all these these people giving these voices, and there are some people, Cheryl, you being one of them, that is great about connecting people. I'm not accusing anybody else of not doing that. But here's the problem. You guys are a conduit to your communities as well if you are not using it properly. And I say that in all the love and respect that I can, right? So I'm not here to pull punches. I'm here to help. That being said, the voices that you have, like we had the gentleman earlier that was saying, for instance, hey, I just do the technical aspects of YouTube. Wrong. No matter who you write to or who you talk to. Now, I happen to be a gun guy. You want to talk specs, pounds, pork? Let's do it. Girl, Lynch. Ammo, let's do Look it. Look at him get excited. At the same time, once no matter what your segment is, once you hear guys from this this side of the aisle, you're like, yes, that's great. 
we have to get it out, but um, my platform is not the place to do it. You are wrong. Your platform is the exact place to do it because those are the people we're trying to reach. So I hope as you go through the rest of the day and you're listening and you're absorbing, please, because when I heard that earlier, it just lit a fire in me. Stop assuming your platform is not the platform. If you want this thing to really be broken down, I need every single ear and every single eye that pays attention to you so I can grab them and change their hearts as well. As long as we keep saying, well, hell, man, I do this, good luck with that, this is never going to work. I don't care how long we stand here and listen to each other. If we don't, you not. I don't care if you do do a technical podcast or you do a political podcast. They need to hear people that they normally don't have access to so we can grow their brains. So as you listen to everybody, I hope you guys are listening to your hearts to say, I need to take these voices all around this room. And I need to interject them to the people that are paying attention. Please do that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's such good encouragement and such a good challenge. Like he's throwing the gauntlet down, right? Are we going to, yeah, going to step up. Um, so one thing that anybody else, somebody else, oh, hands. Yes. I'm Cheryl. Yes. Dan, you're Dan. Nice to meet you. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. And he's, I do all of the planning. Yeah, I do the, the planning, the writing, the guest scheduling. And he's like, you know what, babe, you're so good at that. Let's add another whole hour. Let's, yeah, you go and add it. Yeah, you, okay, babe, I see. Yeah, Holly told. Yes, Rob. Yeah. Chris goes, you know, after 20 years, I'm almost an overnight sensation. I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. That's all of us. That's every one of us in the room. That's great. What other hands do I see? Miss Laura Karna. If folks haven't seen Cheryl's guest page um, on her website for her radio show, uh, it's the model. Um, Thank so you. Thank you. Yes, if you've been on the show, you have a guest page on my show. Yeah, so, so if, you're, if you're listening to Cheryl's show, you don't know any of us, or you're somebody you like, go to the guest page, and it's almost as good as my website, the information that she has um, for me. So I'm it's checking out. your website. It's more up to date. Hers is? Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> you know, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, it's my place that I get to brag on the awesome people who come on our show. So I'm trying to put every link possible. I'm trying to write all I can about your bio, keep them up to date. But thank you for that. Liston, did you have something? The Washington Post by Todd Frankel, a journalist by trade. And in this article, it was about the knife rights movement. Mm-hmm. Mr. Frankel said, and I quote, guns are by far the leading cause of homicides in the nation. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that points out something that that is pretty rampant in journalism is where this is just an out and out lie, but they also will, will say things, and I think it's incumbent on us to, to point out to them when they do that. So I emailed Mr. Franklin and, and never got a response. I said, 
Oh, you could have said guns are by far the leading instrument of homicides in the nation. Uh -huh. That would have been a credible statement. Uh -huh. yes, sir. So I, I emailed him and offered him the opportunity to just give me a comment back when he didn't. I made a post on, on Facebook about the same thing. But I've, I've uh, often texted or emailed or, or what's that other thing? That other Twitter. Story? Yes. You know what, guys? I am almost 10 minutes over in my segment. I, uh, sorry, but I will take one last comment. Yes, I'm supposed to be my own timekeeper and I'm failing already. Um, <laughs> I need my studio producer to zap me. Uh, Ellen, you'll have the last comment or question. What you said is a lie is incorrect. It's the truth. Guns are the leading cause of murder. It's the truth. To everybody who watches CNN or MSNBC, and if you watch ABC or NBC, you see BS. <laughs> That's the truth to them. Well, what did Argo say? Argo said, if it's true to the person, then it's true. And we miss this. And we're sitting here preaching in the choir. Yeah. And it's very hard to sit in a room like this with people on the left mm -hmm. who tell each other, like we're telling ourselves the truth, mm -hmm. they tell themselves the truth. Yeah. We've got to get the assault weapons off the street because right. they're the leading cause of murder. Right. And guns kill people. Right. And that's what they believe. And we sit here stroking ourselves right. without realizing that we're missing it. We can't sit in a bar upstairs and talk to a lefty yeah. about any of this with any of the language we have yeah. and get anywhere because I do it and I've tried it and I sat in a lefty political salon for years until I had a vomit and it's hard. <laughs> it is really hard. They don't listen. They don't hear. Right. We sit here thinking we're getting somewhere okay. and we you don't have a solution. anywhere with that point of view. I know you're out of time. I am. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'll take 30 seconds to say this. We will never get anywhere with that point of view. Don't assume that people on the left are against guns. You're driving people away and you need them. Yes. You cannot save the second. Amendment is universal. Then act like it. Stop excluding people. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Miss Tiffany. All right. So I think as, as I run so long, where it says break there, we're probably going to have to blast through it. So if you do need to run and go potty, just stagger yourself so you don't miss anything important. All right. Coming up to the podium, we have Mr. Dan Waz. He is the author of Good Gun, 
bad guy. He's going to talk to us about journalism techniques, and I'm hoping so much he's going to talk about his recent video series where he does play-by-play, -play, Monday morning quarterbacking, picking apart the, the wording and the, the word choices of some of these interviewers on some of those uh, MSNBC stations. So welcome, Dan Watts. Sorry I missed it this morning. I wish I was here because from the sounds of it, there was a lot of really good stuff talked about. Just this little, this just past little uh, segment here when people were talking, I just wanted to address a couple of those things. You know, you said people, people were trying, that we're trying to reach. We want to reach these people. And Tiffany said something to the same effect. And um, the, the problem is they don't see things the way we see it. They are constantly being manipulated, conditioned, and brainwashed. I think a lot of different things. So although we do need them, I think we need to first understand them and understand how they think. Um, terminology. He was talking about terminology. He talked about gun violence. No such thing as gun violence. This is a, the most ridiculous term that I've ever heard in my life, and the entire anti-gun debate is based on it. No such thing as gun violence. Gun, gun violence does not exist. There's a thing called human violence. And if we can take the focus and put it on the human, it will change everything. But they won't let you do that. They keep that focus right on the gun. And, and as soon as we start talking about what the person did, they want to redirect you. So I just want to a couple things. Uh, to them, it's the truth. Somebody said, to them, it's the truth. It absolutely is the truth because they don't know any better. These are people who don't critically think this stuff through like we do. They don't even own guns, most of them. We talked about some. You know, when I say when I say this, I don't mean all Democrats. I don't mean all liberals, but the, the majority. I mean, if we did, we have to talk in general terms at some point. And for the most part, they don't, um, they, they're not gun owners. So they don't know. All they know is what they hear on, on CNN. Um terminology like Wild West and you know how they want you to think that if we allow, uh, this is the thing that drives me crazy, if we allow people to have guns, then we're going to have this Wild West where people are going to be shooting each other up in the produce section or killing each other because of road rage. You know, it's it's ridiculous thought to think. Okay, so let me let me just let me just start. Um, my name is Dan Wass. I wrote a book called Good Gun, Bad Guy, and I wrote it because I got tired of, of all this stuff, all this anti-gun crap, all the terminology, all the all the strategies and tactics that the anti-gunners use to further their argument and, and, and lie to people and fool people. So I wanted to start by um, asking you, have you ever heard the term, nobody needs an AR-15? How about... What do you need to carry a gun for? What are you, what are you so afraid of? See, if they can turn gun ownership into a need, or if it can be measured by some metric of need, then they can control it. They can regulate it, but it's a right. So I always think about if it was, let's say all gun ownership was based on a, a level of need. Who do you think would determine those parameters? Would gun owners be the ones to decide? I don't think so. So, 
we also have, um, uh, when you talk about me, because you, you can argue, well, in, in ways we do have um, gun ownership allowed by a level of need. We have jurisdictions in our country that are may issue, you know, the may issue concealed carry as opposed to the, to the shall issue. Well, may issue means that you need to write a compelling letter. You need to convince a judge that you should be able to carry a gun. So you have this judge who now gets to decide whether or not they think you deserve to exercise your second amendment. <coughs> so, so that's the that's the whole need thing. And I and I use the um, I I, I I like to imagine if all gun ownership was based on a level of need or a metric of need or a measure of need. Imagine this: you're in your home watching TV with your family. And somebody breaks in your house, a couple, couple guys break in your house and they don't know you're there, but, but they attack you and they want to rob, rob you, steal you, whatever. You shoot them, they die in your front yard. How, if gun ownership was measured by a level of need, how many lawyers do you think would be lined up to argue that you didn't need to use a gun? You could have used a baseball bat, you could have retreated, you and your family could have hidden your closet and begged for your lives. See, they want it to be based on need. But lucky for us, our founding fathers could see these anti-American gun grabbers coming 200 years away. And they called it Bill of Rights, not the Bill of Needs. So I talk about rights and privileges, rights versus privileges. A lot of people on the left primarily are getting the terms rights and privileges mixed up. They get them confused. A privilege is something that's, I call it man-made. It's, it's something that we create, a privilege. You can give a privilege and you can take it away. Privileges can be used as a form of leverage. You want somebody to do something for you, you can offer privileges and you can take them away. You may have a, a kid, your kid doesn't do his homework, so he loses the privilege of staying up past 10 o'clock. So privileges can be taken away. Rights cannot. Rights are inherent, the part of being human, God-given. But people are being conditioned to not see the difference between rights and privileges. That's why people can say, well, you know, I support your Second Amendment right, but I think we need common sense gun restrictions. Well, you can't do that. You can't do both. You can't support my right to keep and bear while restricting my right to keep and bear. But they don't understand the difference because they're being conditioned on a daily basis to see rights as privileges. And I talk a little bit about the two ideologies. And I, and I, I was asking Greg here just a minute ago, I said, am I gonna offend people if I talk about liberals? But, so I don't know if, the, if, I didn't wanna be, you know, I wanted to be careful, but go ahead. I usually okay. And, yeah. Thank you, and and I will. Let me back up just a little bit. I was uh, raised in a pro-gun family, so I I shot guns with my dad. I cleaned guns. He taught me how to use them. He taught me how to use them safely, and so I had a pretty good understanding. I didn't have a fear for guns, um, but I did end up going kind of anti-gun for a while. I started, I started hanging with the wrong crowd. I wasn't hanging with drug addicts or, or 
or people robbing banks, I was hanging with liberal progressives. And what's that? Same difference. <laughs> Same difference. But so I got caught up in that whole um, the whole mindset. You know, there's a mindset over there, and and when you they say you're a, we're a product of our environment, and it's true. You hang out with people, and you're going to adapt, and you're going to take on their beliefs and their you know and their thoughts, their thought process, and you're going to think like them. So yeah, so I was until I um, started to be able to see through the haze of delusion and, and you know, like the whole guns are bad thing, guns are dangerous, guns are the cause of problems, guns make people kill, guns are all this thing. I started to look at it a little more logically and then my wife and I had a, a situation uh, in a parking lot coming out of a late night movie and I tell the story in my book, but long story short, I realized that night that I don't know that I would have been able to defend her. You know, I don't know that I would have, you know, had what it took to to take care of her. So I got we got in the car and and I remember I distinctly remember putting the key in the ignition and saying, "Look, I'm sorry." And she goes, well, what do you, "Why? Why are you apologizing? What are you sorry for? You didn't do anything." I said, "I know, but I, I don't know that tonight I would have been able to to protect you." And I said, "I'm getting gone." And so getting her through the whole process and getting her comfortable with it um, was a, a whole a whole thing in itself. But as I started to understand how the left thinks about guns, because I was there, I was thinking the same thing. Lucky for me, I had um, I had some experience when I was a kid, so, so I was able to switch. But the, there are two diff, very distinctive ideologies in this country. And and that's why our, our country is kind of split right down the middle right now, especially right now. It's so distinctive right now. And I, I don't think I have ever seen in my life, I haven't seen it this, quite this polar opposite. Um, on the left, we have people who they like laws and rules, regulations, restrictions. They like it because it's, uh, it creates a controlled environment, a structured environment, kind of a, a utopian in uh, government controlled environment. They like it because it feels safe. You can not necessarily be responsible for your actions. You can get away with a lot of things and, and there's always someone else to, uh, to blame, you know, whether it's government or their professor or their teacher or their parent or whoever. The, um, you know, no officer, I didn't, it wasn't my fault that I ran the stop sign. You know, the tree branch was, was growing in front of it. That's the city's fault. That's not my fault. Or how about, you know, the, the people who can trip over their own two feet on the sidewalk and sue the business that happens to be there? Well, how does this make any sense? So, and I'll give you an example. I live in a city called Saratoga Springs. We're in upstate New York. Beautiful city if you get a chance, come visit. But, um, we have uh, on Broadway. We have a four-lane uh, high, four-lane road in the city. And I saw this one girl, and she was she was probably in her twenties, and and she was crossing the road. Lots of traffic, people walking, their dogs, and all sorts of stuff. Lots of activity. But she's walking across the street, and as soon as she saw the sign that said "walk," she started walking. But she did this. She didn't pick up her head until she got to the other side of the road. And I, I, I was, it was really strange to me, but 
it made sense. Let me explain. If it would, when I cross the road, I don't care if there are 15 people flagging me across. I don't care if the mayor comes down for, from their office and carries me across the road. I'm still looking both ways. I don't care how many signs you can light up and tell me it's okay to walk. I'm still going to look because I have a sense of my own personal responsibility. And I think what's happening is a lot of people are giving up that sense of responsibility. And when you take away responsibility from people, you take, what else do you take away? You take away their responsibility. They don't have the ability to make choices. They don't have the ability to make decisions. You are kind of a victim of your environment when you don't have the ability to act. You're not a causing act, the causing actor in your own life. Take away that responsibility from people. And they become more and more dependent on government as you do this. The more restrictions, the more you take away their ability to choose, the more they need government. But then on the right, we have conservative people. I like to say traditional American values. Now, these people basically say, get the hell out of my way. It's my life. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, where I want. I don't need government or anybody else to tell me what to do, what car to drive, what to wear. And the good thing about that is that, well, I'll, I'll take responsibility for my failures and I'll hold myself accountable for that. But I'll also get to... Um, sort of uh, enjoy the rewards of my successes. So it's a difference between, you know, living in that utopian environment versus having freedom to do what you want. Now, although there are, I believe, string pullers at the top on the left who do want to control society, I don't think all people on the left do. And I'm talking about the people that we see in the grocery store, the people that we see in the bank, the regular people that are Democrat, liberal, progressive, that we interact with every day, not bad people. And I don't think they, they want to control you as much as they want to be controlled. See, if you have freedom and you get to do what you want, they'll never get their control society. They need people, People who think like that need everybody on board, and you're not on board because you got guns. Guns are the symbol of freedom. Guns, guns, you know, because of the Second Amendment, it's why we can be free. And it, it, it really puts a kind of puts a chink in their armor when they want to control, they want everybody to live under that government rule. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> I'll wrap it up. And um, so when you uh, basically conservatives will fight for freedom while, you know, the liberal progressive will uh, fight to have that freedom taken away and given to, to government. And um, I, I'll wrap it up right there. Um, I just want to say one last thing is that when we... Uh, because our guns represent that freedom and that ability to do what we want to do, we scare the hell out of them. And um, I'd like to be able to understand them. I'd like to be able to communicate with them. Um, first, we need to, because we can't argue statistics. We can't just yell statistics at them and, and expect that to change their mind. And um, we, uh, we need to understand how they think. 
so um, so we can either help them or defeat them. Thank you. Definitely do follow him on Facebook, uh, Dan Wass, W-O-S, and check out those uh, videos that I was talking about where he's breaking down the language of... I'm sorry. That's okay. It was Everything you said was very important. I just definitely want to plug that uh, effort that you're doing out there. All right. Up next, we have Craig Deleuze. He is the spokesman for the FPC, which is the Firearms Policy Coalition. He's also the host of the morning coffee with Craig. Come on down. All right. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started here. I, uh, I would say I'm probably one of the worst public speakers ever in that I hate being stuck behind the podium. Uh, so because you guys want to hear me, I'm, I'm going to be stuck here. So anyway. Uh, just to kind of start off, once again, my name is Craig Deleuze. I am the Director of Legislative and Public Affairs for the Firearms Policy Coalition. FPC is a nonprofit 501c4 organization, meaning we do politics. Uh, we are not a conservative group. We're not a liberal group. We're not a public safety group. We're not an education group. We are focused on one thing, and that is fighting for the constitutional right. Comes to me clarify. Fighting for the human right to be able to defend oneself, which is enumerated in our Constitution via the Second Amendment. Uh, we don't get involved in a, lot of other th in a lot of other stuff. We do, though, focus on a lot of all of the constitutional rights because we happen to see those rights also being eroded simply because we want to exercise our right to keep their arms. Uh, being myself, I have about uh, 25 years in uh, politics, advocacy, and political commentary. Uh, being from California, as you can imagine, I'm surrounded a lot by a lot of uh, folks who are, how shall we say, they're left of center. Um, I was raised in Richmond, California. How many of you here are familiar with Richmond, California? Yeah, not the most conservative place in the world, not the most pro-gun place in the world, at least not legally pro-gun. Some of you will get that on the, some of you will get that in about half an hour. Um, but I grew up in a particular political environment. All of my family were Democrats. Uh, I was raised a Democrat. I have a twin brother who is the president of the Sacramento NAACP, Greater Sacramento Urban League. He is a uh, he is a uh, very left leaning. And I'm only sharing this with you to kind of give you an understanding of kind of my political commentary background. So my brother and I actually started doing uh, started doing commentary, and we do a lot of it in the Sacramento region, kind of a right and left, Kennedy Combs. Uh, he likes to say right left. I like to say right wrong. Uh, but we do a lot of political commentary. And one of the things that, uh, so there were some things that we talked about over earlier. If I have time at the end, I'll get, I'll get back to them. But I've been doing political commentary for quite a while. I've also been doing politics for politics in Sacramento region for quite a while. I came to the Firearms Policy Coalition actually knowing very little about firearms policy. I didn't know how much, how little I knew until uh, I actually started getting involved in it. And the re main reason why I was brought to FPC was to help them in the PR area, help them to do more media. Their whole goal was they recognized that there just seemed to be a real vacuum when it came to a pro-gun voice dealing with the mainstream media. 
because I had a background in dealing with the mainstream media, in particular uh, debating those on the other side of the aisle, I, I, I was able to, as I've come in, as I came into the organization, be able to learn how to do various different things like speaking sound bites, learning how to control the narrative, the stories, things along those lines. Well, that quickly turned into 50 plus bills being introduced in the state of California that were anti-gun. And they said, hey, you worked in the Capitol for 10 years. You want to be our lobbyist? Okay. <laughs> um, and so then I started lobbying for the Fire and Policy Coalition. Uh, understanding that uh, in 2013, the Fire and Policy Coalition did not exist. Today, the Fire and Policy Coalition has a, a social media following of over 300,000. Uh, we have a now a YouTube following of almost 19, almost 19,000. Just the beginning of this year, when we started our video program, we were somewhere around 2,000. Um, and, and I say all this, and I'm sharing this with you because my talk today is going to be about how to develop a successful video program for your organization. Now, I don't say that because I know how to do it right or I've done it all right. What I'm sharing with you today is from all the mistakes that I have made. And hopefully, as I try to teach my children, best way to learn is from other people's mistakes. The cheapest way to learn is from other people's mistakes. So hopefully you guys can, uh, can learn from some of, uh, some of my mistakes. Um, we started off our video program largely as a way because we wanted to try and find a way to get people to pay attention to legislation, to get what was going on. We knew that there are some people who when you post something on social media, they're going to see it and they're going to click on it. They're going to go and they're going to read what you got there. And they're going to follow the action that you tell them. And then there's everyone else. And there's a large group of people who are much more likely to click on a video and watch a video for two to five minutes than they are to actually take the time to read whatever it is that you put out there. And so as we sought to not do that, we realized we were losing a lot of people. We were, there were a lot of people who weren't getting engaged in the stuff that we were doing. Uh, that then led us to start to do more breaking news type stuff. In other words, as there was stuff that was happening, we wanted to find the easiest and the quickest way to get people plugged in, to know what was going on. So we started doing more breaking news type videos. And then from that, we started getting into blogging, which led to Morning Coffee with, Morning Coffee with Craig. And that really just kind of came out of a us literally standing around the coffee machine and me ranting about whatever it is that I had just read in the news that I was really upset and angry about. And I said, you know, we need to, the rest of the world needs to, needs to hear about some of this stuff because they would be just as outraged as you, as, you know, as, as we are. And so that then led, that led to our, our, our blogging. So what I wanted to do is kind of help you to understand and take a look at if you're not already doing it, if you're not already, if you don't already have a video program, so take a look at some of the potential opportunities and things that you may want to consider if you want to start one. And if you already have one, to make sure hopefully that you do a full inventory of, you know, am I really considering everything that I ought to be doing? First of all, I want to talk about uh, initial considerations. And that is, first of all, what are your goals, what are your organizational goals? What exactly is it that you're trying to do? And how would this particular venue, how would it help to advance that? If your goal is simply to get the name of your organization out there, well, that's something that it can help do as you develop a following, as your videos develop a following, your organization also develops an additional following. There were, I was, before we were doing Coffee with Craig, we didn't start Coffee with Craig until 2016. Before that, very few people 
knew who Craig Deleuze was. And now on a regular basis, I get people stalking me, whether it's in Sacramento, Los Angeles, wherever I am in California, I still get people saying, wait, um, you coffee, right? Yeah. <laughs> I even have, as I go into the Capitol, like half of the, half of the, uh, the, the California Highway Patrol officers who staff the Capitol watch it. I even called over to the California Department of Justice seeking information, and they're like, oh, Craig, yeah, I watch you on coffee. I'm like, oh, really? You know, so we have kind of a running joke in the, you know, in the office. Whenever we say something inappropriate, we'll always say, and that was Craig Deleuze, just in case the California Department of Justice is listening. But so, okay, so what are your organizational goals, and how does this fit in? How can videos fit into that? The other thing you want to consider is time, because trust me, it takes time. And initially, when you're first starting out, it's going to take a whole lot of time because there's a lot of learning. There is a steep learning curve in terms of making that happen. I want to give you fully produce a 15 minute video block. Well, that all depends on the vlog because there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There is Finding the topic, there is. I, I, it could take me sometimes two hours. It could sometimes take me fifteen minutes. It all depends on the topic, how knowledgeable I am about it. What are the various different things that I'm going to include? Uh, video, additional video, imagery, quotes. If I'm going to be doing an interview, you know, trying to find an appropriate guest to have on the show in order to be able to do it. All of that stuff. All of that stuff goes into it. Falls under the uh, under the the time. Uh, that you're going to need to consider. Um, the other thing that you need to consider is, monet is, is finances or monetization. What are you willing to invest in it and what is the potential return? I can tell you, very few people are actually making money off of, off of YouTube. Some are, but very, very few, very, very few are. Doesn't mean that you can't, but it also means those that are are generally people that are under one or two things. They're either someone who already had a very big name and a very big following, and so when they started, they started off with a big following, or they invested a lot of time over a lot of time, and they developed a following to the point where they were eventually able to be successful. But the thing is, so you need to ask yourself, are you willing to commit the time and the energy? What is it going to cost you? Because guess what? Time is money. There's the opportunity cost. What else could you be doing for your organization or for the cause that you could be advancing? And so that's something that you really need to consider when you're developing or considering whether or not you're going to do a video program. Uh, messaging or image is how is this going? How, what is the image that we wish to portray? Right? I, I, I get a number of people who oftentimes will comment on some of this. Oh, by the way, we also have a video called, uh, we call it This Week in Gun Rights that we publish every week. I get a number of people who, uh, well, the language can be sometimes very colorful. We'll just put it that way. Um, and uh, I get some people who are like, well, I just, I can never share these videos because the language is so colorful. And I'm like, well, thank you. Then, you know, probably, just, you know, I'm like, you know your audience better than we do. But what we want people to understand is we're pissed off. And, 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 you know, with all due respect, sometimes there is no other way to appropriately express how angry you are than, than with a, uh, a bad word or two. 
But with that, the point I'm trying to say is you need to consider your organizational image. What's good for our organization may not be good for your organization. What's good for your organization may not be good for his organization. So you need to consider those things. Uh, and also, how are you going to protect your message? How are you going to protect your branding and your image? In other words, once the video's out there, it's out there. So, you know, you need to think about how are you going to make sure that, that whatever you do is, cons is consistent with whatever it is that you're trying to communicate as an organization. Now, the next thing that you need to look at and consider is your platforms. There's various different platforms. There's Facebook, there's YouTube, there's Twitter and Periscope, and there's Instagram. Uh, I can tell you that in terms of, in terms of the, the, the gun community, YouTube is, YouTube is a big one. It is the biggest one that is still out there. It is the one that has the best SEO. Um, and it is still when people are, when, and that means when people are Googling for stuff, if the video is going to come up, it's more than likely going to come up on YouTube. Facebook is great because Facebook gives you the ability to integrate. In other words, to be able to cross-pollinate and connect with people, to be able to post videos various different places. And when you post it on Facebook, what winds up happening is, is that in particular, if they, it'll already be running. Maybe there won't be any sound, but people will come across it and they're more likely to click on it than if it's a YouTube video going into there. Now, we happen to post on both which is relatively, which takes a, a little bit of time, but it doesn't take, uh, it's worth the cross-pollination because the other thing that I find is the audiences are two different audiences. People who watch our videos on YouTube are not the same people who watch our videos on Facebook. So if you want to cross-pollinate, if you're creating, if you're creating the same video product, why not put it out on as many channels as possible? It's like doing a radio show and saying, I'm only going to put it out on this one station. Well, if you can put it out on a thousand stations, why wouldn't you? Um, there's also considering your publishing options. Uh, we started off doing pre-recorded videos where we would go through, we would edit them and all of that. Um, unless you have a background in video editing, sometimes that can be a very, very difficult process. So you need to consider, and once again, when you start to talk about that time and investing time, learning how to edit video. Uh, there are different programs at various different levels. I always tell people, if you have no video editing experience, start with a program that is relatively simple. Um, you want to start with one, you know, a lot of, a lot, most computers come with a very simple uh, video, video editing app. Um, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people use my favorite in terms of an easy one is a program called CyberLink Power Director. Uh, it's, it's only available on PC, so for those of you who use Macs, sorry, but it's the one that I actually learned on. I actually learned because it was very intuitive. Now, it doesn't have a lot of the options that, say, Adobe, uh, Adobe uh, uh, Premiere has or anything like that, but it's a good learning, it's a good starting point for you to learn how to, how to edit your videos. Um, but you're going to want to invest some time in learning how, learning how to do that. Um, then there's live feeds, right? Live feeds are really good because people are more likely, the alert comes up on someone's phone and they are more likely to, to click on it. First live feed we ever did for FPC, I was standing outside of the legislator's door who said that, you know, he was talking about those of us who advocate on behalf of the Second Amendment. He was like, they need to have their mouths washed out with soap. So I did a live stream where I was out in front of his office and I went into his office and told him, here, I have brought you a bar of zest so that you can wash my mouth out. You are welcome to try. 
and we noticed all of a sudden just it just blew up all of a sudden people were just watching our live feed so we found that we were more likely to get people to watch if we did you know when once again when we did our live feeds the other advantage to the live feeds is there's not a lot of there, there's a lot less editing there's no editing basically there's no editing involved in it you're just there and you're just you're just there and you're, you're just doing it and one of the other things, and this is kind of a combination that they have now on Facebook and supposed to be coming YouTube, is the opportunity to be able to premiere a video, which gives you the benefits of a live feed in that you can pre-produce a video and then you schedule it to go live. And when it, what happens is the video then goes live and it plays at a certain, it'll, it'll then at a specific time play and play as though it is a live video. So it gives you the best of both worlds. So even though you're not, you're not, filming it live, it's being sent out and broadcast live and they still get the alerts. But you also have a degree of control over the over the production quality because you are because you're pre-producing it. So that's another option. Now let's talk about equipment. And I always this is the one that I always tell people and this has the same exact thing to do with the learning process. Start simple. If you want to do it, if you have a cell phone, you have the ability to develop or start a video program. Let me clarify, a smartphone with a camera on it. You have the ability to start to be able to do live feeds. You have the ability to be able to do a recorded video, all of that. You can start with it really, really simple. So the first thing you want to know is you want to consider what, what type of camera to use. You do not have to have a big, expensive camera, but you do want to have something that will give you the ability to broadcast a clear picture and something that you can eventually integrate into into other things like for example the next thing we're talking about a computer if you're going to use a computer uh, you want to make sure that you have something that has enough power and capacity to be able to do the sort of video editing or video streaming uh, that you'd like i had to learn a very hard hard lesson uh, i thought that i had the you know the, the best of the best what i needed for a, uh, to be able to do a live feed and broadcast in 1080 60 frames per second and I found out real quickly, those of you who watched Coffee probably about six months ago, you probably noticed that there were lags, that there were freeze frames. Yeah, you learn kind of, once again, learn. I'm learning through experience. But you learn real quick that you want to make sure that you have something that is compatible, that, that meets the needs of whatever it is that you're trying to do. You don't want to skip out. Um, on a good on a good computer if you're going to be doing that if you're going to be if you're going to be uh, uh utilizing it for video editing the other thing is it comes back to time as well even if you're doing just the pre-production end there's this thing called rendering and i've been doing film now for about eight for about eight years and every film editor knows about rendering and that is where you've got all you've got your program your video all lined up and ready to go and then you hit this button which then your computer pulls it all together and then you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. So when we talk about time is money, that, that, is, that is a huge one. So make sure that you, that you invest in it. Uh, so those are kind of some of the pre-considerations that you want to deal with. Now, ongoing considerations when it comes to, when it comes to a video. Uh, number one, invest in prep. Invest in prep. In other words, take the time find interesting stories interesting things to talk about uh get visuals look for visuals whether it's whether it's pictures whether it's charts or graphs uh, if you can incorporate other video 
Uh, all of those things attract people's attention. Some of my best video, some of my, my best, my most popular, matter of fact, my most popular one was on a story. It's called, What Happens When an Anti-Gun Story Goes Horribly Wrong? And it's all about someone who wanted to interview me on a story, and they literally wound up telling a nonsensical anti-gun story, but they, they just wanted to do an anti-gun story. And I was able to integrate their video in with, in with my commentary of the job that they did. But you want to make sure to invest your time, invest time in prep. Uh, and that also, once again, I talked about visuals and imagery. Make sure you are getting uh, good visuals and imagery. Um, the last thing people want to see is just one person just kind of sitting there talking into a mic. If you're going to do that, you might as well just do a podcast. All right. That, that's, that's one thing I would just tell you. So make sure you have good visuals and good imagery. Um, also, stay up to date. Stay up to date on the latest tech and technology that's available for your video program. Uh, you also want to know and understand best practices. I spend probably about as much time watching how-to videos on how to do videos as I do on firearms and firearms policy because you always want to know what's working. You want to know what's working with other people who are doing it so that you can incorporate those things. Once again, learning from other people's experiences. Um, consistency is king. Whatever you decide to do, keep doing it. Don't start off saying, I'm going to do a daily pro video if you don't know if you can invest time daily in doing it. You're going to do it once a month, start off once a month. You're going to do it once a week, do it once a week. People start to expect it. But if you go back and forth, if you're inconsistent, then you will spend, then you will, you're, you will not necessarily, you won't gain audience. So consistency is king. Two hands are better than one. Um, and this is one, this is me, once again, talking about from experience. Um, I am both in front of and behind the camera. If you watch coffee, you'll see me looking around. That's because I'm looking at the screen monitor to see what's coming next as I'm programming the show. Um, if you can have two people, if you can have multiple people, the more hands, the better. Because once again, we're talking about an investment of time. And more people means you're, you have more time. It's also someone who has the ability to a second to, to a second set of eyeballs, second set of ears, so that they're you know so that you don't have videos go out with no sound or really bad sound, uh, so that you make sure that you know when the title comes up of a video, uh, things are spelled correctly, things along those lines. Having that second set, I I've been writing now for almost thirty years, and number one thing was never I never proofread my own stuff. Same exact thing is true in video. You you always want to have someone. If you can, someone who can be that second set of eyeballs, second set of ears uh, as you go forward. And, and finally, have fun. And that's a vital, most important part because ultimately, uh, most people are not making money doing this. So you have to enjoy it. You enjoy it by doing the stuff you enjoy doing, talking to the people that you enjoy talking to, and talking about the things that you are passionate about. If you are doing that, people are attracted to passionate people. Right. If you are passionate about what you're talking about, then people will listen to you. And that's my presentation on the uh, on the successful video program. And a couple other things I wanted to say, but first I want to open up the floor to questions and answers. <coughs> yes, sir. Yes. Passionate about what you're talking. I believe that that is probably the most profound thing I've heard all. 
That's the reason why you guys so many people nowadays because there's no part into the world. So thank you. I, I will tell you, first of all, I understand that I was uh, when you talk about passion, I, I worked, uh, I spent 10 years as a legislative, as a legislative aide and deputy chief of staff for a, Cal for a couple of California state legislators. Um, I dealt with lobbyists and I always said I never wanted to be a lobbyist. I was going to be a lobbyist. It was going to be something about which I was passionate, passionate about education, passionate about faith and family, and uh, I'm passionate about firearms. And I didn't start off passionate about firearms. I originally, I, I uh, originally, I, I bought my first firearm, and then I wanted to get I wanted to get familiar with it. I wanted to be a responsible gun owner, and the more I learned, the more I learned how much of a fundamental right it was and a responsibility that I was taking on. But I also saw how the state was doing everything possible to keep me from being able to do that. And the more I started, the more I studied, the more I got the more angry I got, and the more you know. So when I when when uh, my, the member that I worked for was turned out, and I had a chance to go, uh, uh, a friend of mine who is probably one of the most, uh, I'll just say, one of the most knowledgeable individuals I know of firearms and firearms policy and technology. Uh, I would say there are probably five people in the entire state that really understand policy and po policy and technology. He is one of those five. Uh, he brought me on board with the Firearms Policy Coalition, and. It only took me sitting there for a month before I started to realize just these folks didn't care. And they didn't care that they were making that they, number one, they, they were violating a fundamental civil right. You know, we, you know, earlier we were talking about kind of the terminology. And I'll say this the, the, the gentleman who was talking about, you know, we have the wrong terminology. He's right. We have to use the terminology that they use. This isn't my, this is my civil right, right? Civil rights are not, are not special rights for special people. Right? They're not the rights that the left want to want. There's not the rights that people want to have. And so they call them a their privileges that people want to have, so they're gonna call them a right. Civil rights are the are the are the fundamental human rights that are available to each and every one of us. And we enumerate those civil rights in our constitution. Among those is the right to keep and bear arms, the people's right to keep and bear arms. So when I go and I speak before legislators and I you know, I, I make sure that they know and understand. I am a civil rights advocate, first and foremost. I, you know, I, and, and that's where the, the the passion comes in because I know that this is not just about this is not just about me liking guns. This is about the fact that I have a fundamental right and responsibility to defend myself, to defend my family, to defend my home, and defend my community. And I will not allow someone knows absolutely nothing about firearms, doesn't care to know anything about firearms, doesn't like guns, doesn't like people who like guns, to tell me what I quote unquote mean. That's where the passion has to come in. Because the thing that I found is, it, it, it's funny because I deal with people on both sides of the aisle. And the number one thing that they note is, once again, speaking with passion, but also having the facts. You will not win. You will not win an argument. Let me just clarify. I'm not in this argument to, to change people's minds. I'm number one in this argument in this fight to identify the people who already agree with me. Many of them just don't know, and then to identify the people who would agree with me if they knew what I knew. 
Those are the people that I'm in this that I'm in this for. Those are the reasons we do the videos. Those are the reasons why I do interview after interview with the mainstream media. Because I want them to know that there is another side, that there is another voice. And by by being involved and by being very strategic in my communications with them, by being very strategic in the things that I say, what I find oftentimes in dealing with the mainstream media is this. Very rarely do they misrepresent our position. If, if our position is misrepresented is because we were not clear enough in our enunciating it or are putting it out there. But what they do do is they underrepresent our position. That you'll see an entire article, 10, 12 paragraphs, and then somewhere in the last two or three paragraphs, there'll be my quote from Craig Deleuze from the Firearms Policy Coalition. Three sentences. But here's the thing that that does. For people who are reading the article, they see that quote, they're like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. And they Google Firearms Policy Coalition. They Google Craig Deleuze. See, because we're not out there, and here's the thing, there's a reason why they believe the lies. Because nine times out of 10, we're not there. And when we are there, we're silent. We have to learn to be more effective communicators, right? The Bible says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Well, we can't do that if all we're doing is sitting around here talking about it. We have an obligation to be out there. And that's what I like about AMCON. MCON is, is, is full of people who are out there, who are out there in the public, who are out there communicating our message beyond just gun owners, beyond just people who are in the gun rights community. And so if we are effective in reaching out and compelling them to come in, then they get a chance to hear from some of the, the prominent voices in the gun rights movement, the people who are really making a difference in terms of you know, really have that intellectual, I mean, that, that fundamental knowledge and understanding of this as a, as a fundamental human right. But we have to be willing to do that. May I have one more minute? Yes. I, I, you know what? I actually, I actually said both. It's not just a fundamental human right, but it is also a civil right. And once again, that is, we're talking about the vernacular that a lot of these folks are trying to utilize. They want to say, well, we're all about civil rights. Okay, well, this is a fundamental civil right. This is a constitutionally enumerated civil right. Once again, learning to take their terminology, learning to use their phraseology on them, because that's what they understand. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll be around uh, for the rest of the weekend. 
Um, thank you so much, but I do believe my time is up. All right, well, this is one of the panels that I am so, I mean, I've been excited about every speaker, but the Beyond the Choir panel, and we're gonna ask uh, the speakers to come up one at a time. They'll have about 10 to 12 minutes each, but they're going to help educate us on that language use, on how to draw people in and not put walls up inadvertently. It, I think it just comes from ignorance, and that's such a, a, a heavy word, but you know, we just don't know what we don't know. We don't all, all the time know what we sound like to someone else's ears and their and so uh, I see Ms. Sarah standing and ready to roll. Sarah Cade is the team leader of the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. I will turn the mic over to her and you have 10 to 12 minutes. Hi. I know a lot of you guys, so I'm Sarah Cade. Um, I am the, the um, token liberal in a lot of these things. Um, interestingly, though, as, as somebody else mentioned, once you start speaking up and once you start being the face, um, a lot of people come out of the woodwork and they're like, I'm liberal too. I don't really talk about it because I get a lot of crap from my friends, but I just want to let you know you're not the only one. Um, which kind of leads me to a point I want to address before I even start my actual presentation, which is say you're going to a football game, you're from out of state, you don't know which team is which, you get out there, you look on the field, no one's wearing a jersey. How do you know who's on uh, what team? You don't. And it's kind of the same with political affiliation. You don't know what other people are thinking. You don't. I mean, they can wear a team red jersey. Um, they can wear a pin that says NRA. Um, but you can't presume that you know what they're thinking and what's on their mind. And uh, it, it leads us into dangerous territory when we try to um, expand our focus outward away from the Second Amendment and bundle in other issues. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I just wanted to address a little bit, a couple of points that were brought up earlier. Um, does anyone think that uh, the left-right is a dichotomy in this country? Exactly. That's true. Yeah, that's true. All right, so if anyone's not hearing this on the microphone, uh, so John said it's a continuum. It's not a dichotomy. Um, but it is becoming more and more polarized, and that's a problem for us. As uh, gun rights advocates, that's a huge problem for us. Um, I would have to say that if you cannot show respect for someone else, anywhere else on that continuum, you've already lost your second rights. You've already lost your guns, and we're just going to slowly watch you circling the drain with a dwindling group of people helping you. Um, so it's, it's important to reach out. We've got to do it. Uh, I just, I can't even overstate it. Um, so if, if that's something you can't bring yourself to do, there's nothing that I can say that will help you. No, that's it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. If you can't bring yourself to respect someone in a different place on that spectrum, nothing I say will help you. Just, you might as well walk out that way. So, <laughs> save you some time. Save you some time. Uh, I was kind of thinking about what I should call this presentation, and I was going to start out calling it How Not to Alienate People. Um, but then I actually thought, well, 
practically speaking, I'll just call it why I don't listen to your shows. I'm not picking on anyone's <laughs> rehearsal. <laughs> So, yeah, this is, it's not a personal critique on any one person here, but it's why I, as a liberal person, do not listen to most young shows. Um, they just, they put me off. Um, so, how do you fix that? How do you reach out? How do you talk to somebody that doesn't think like you, and you might not even know how they think, or you might not know what you're saying that alienates them, or what they're saying that's going to alienate you. You don't know. Um, so, I've got five, five easy steps. Um, that anyone can do. Some of them are going to sound a little uh, little generic to you guys, but uh, what I'm going to do is kind of get through all of them quickly, and then I'll take Q&A at the end. All right, so step one, decide. So decide whether you want your show to be a single-issue show or a partisan show. And there is no shame in either one. If you want to have a partisan show, awesome. More power to you. But if you don't, if you want to have a single-issue, Second Amendment-focused show uh, that will attract people that don't think exactly like you, in other words, the people you need to keep your rights, uh, then listen on and we'll get to some of that. So step one is just deciding what you want to accomplish. Um, step two, respect. Set the tone early and often that you are a single-issue show. Make it very clear and stick to it and make your guests stick to it. Um, really how you do that, <laughs> there, for, for one, there's no substitute for actual respect. If you don't respect people on the left, if you think they're all, um, let's see, what are some of the words that were used earlier, um, all control freaks or all, um, you know, afraid of the real world or whatever it is, um, if you can't bring yourself to actually empathize with a person well enough, um, to, to understand their point of view. There is nothing I say that can help you. Um, if you. If you're not willing to take that step and make an effort, there's no quick fix for that. There's no just, I can avoid saying this word and everybody will want to hear what I have to say. It doesn't really work like that. Um, respect is one of those things that is, it's just loud and clear. You broadcast it whether or not you intend to. Uh, so, the other thing about respect, it does not weaken your position to respect your opponent. It actually strengthens your position. Position is based on social pressure. So your position is not based on the merit of your position, but just the fact that oh, everybody on Team Blue, um, everybody on Team Blue hates us, so therefore you should listen to me. That's not a very strong position. So showing a basic respect there um, actually strengthens what you're saying. It makes it more palatable for people that don't think exactly like you. Uh, let's see here. So uh, step three. So we got through the decision. We got through the, the basic ground rules with show respect. Um, step three. You're going to be an attack. Try your best. Attack a policy. Attack a position. Don't attack a person. And don't attack a party. Um, that's, that's one of the main things that you can do to avoid just making people just walk out and turn off half your audience. Um, and again, if we're talking about a, a left and right spectrum, right at that 50% line, that's like half the country. You know, and you might agree with those people on a lot of other things, but they've already stopped listening to you. Um, so, attack policies, don't attack people. Uh, 
Step four, decide what audience you actually do want to attract. So say you want to attract a more moderate or a more left-leaning audience. Say you want to attract, um, maybe you just don't have any brown faces in your uh, conference room and you want to attract more people of color. Say you want to attract, um, you, you can pick anything really, pick anything. Do outreach. The first thing you need to do is expand your personal network in that direction. So um, that's something you can do with things like this. And I know Shelly had some excellent advice earlier on networking and, and uh, how to do that. Um, but the key to this is not just uh, it's not tokenizing people and it's not saying, oh, I think you know I like to I like to talk to this person just because they're brown. It's more like I would like to invite this person in my circle so that they can influence my position in my life. So you're actually granting that person a little bit of power in your circle, and that's crucial because otherwise nobody's going to want to be there. Nobody wants to be your sidekick. Um, so give them the power to make changes, make choices, uh, and influence you. Prepare to be uncomfortable uh, because these uh, conversations can often be very uncomfortable. That's just a fact of life. You're going to get rejected. You are. Uh, you're going to get called names. Not everybody's going to be receptive to your message, um, but if this is something you're serious about, it's your job to weed through all the crap and pull out here. Uh, number five, create a group identity for your show and for your community, for your, for your um, viewers, your listeners. Create a group identity that transcends that partisanship. So if your only group identity is like, hey, we're Team Red, that's only not. Create a group identity of your own. Like, hey, here's in-jokes from our past shows. Here's community that we've, uh, we've built together. Um, here's how our content adds value to your life. Use that as a group identity so that it's not so much based on your innate characteristics or it's not based on who you vote for. Um, so that's, yeah, pretty much five steps. Questions? I'm running low on time, but another questions. What would you say in your your ability to work in things like this? What would you say that once you get past the hey I'm here thing, what's your biggest obstacle to getting people to be receptive to? Oh, to me personally, you mean like no, to you or your, your what you're saying for and things like that? Um, I'm not sure I'm understanding the question properly, so I'll try to answer the way I interpreted it. <laughs> Uh, but the question was kind of what's the biggest obstacle? Uh, obstacle obstacles you face being in the position you're in with them. Oh. Um, the biggest obstacle I have faced personally, I think, is uh, being tokenized. So it's interesting because if you are the token liberal or the token brown person, the token girl in your group, your opinion gets both more and less weight than it actually deserves. Kind of simultaneously, it's weird and it's uh, it's not cool, but it's better than nothing. So it's like, I will take it. <laughs> so yeah, it's like people listen to me on, on topics where they shouldn't. Like they want me to speak for the entire black community. I'm not qualified to do that. Um, but then they also disregard my opinion. Like, oh, that's just what the girls think. Like that's only applicable, applicable to uh, women who shoot. But that's not the case either. So yeah, it's it's kind of, uh, it's a two part struggle there. So I, I've decided to embrace the attention that I don't deserve and use it to try to, to put out the message that I do have. That's good. So I'll admit it, it's there. So, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to say, I saw my question. Uh, even though um, 
it'll leave people, it will free your listeners from having to make assumptions about you if you are honest to goodness, straight up with them all the time. You also have to be honest about the arguments that you're making. Just because you feel in your heart of hearts that you that your Second Amendment right is infallible, that doesn't mean that every argument you make supporting it is completely bulletproof. That was, that was cheesy, sorry, but you know, I can't think of anything else to say. My point is, if there are weaker arguments in your arsenal, acknowledge their weaknesses. Otherwise, you lose credibility because people think your mind is made up and you're not open to hearing alternative points of view. Once your audience feels like you're not open to hearing alternative points of view, they will no longer understand about your point of view, regardless of whether it's correct or not. The accuracy of your argument is far less important once you lose that credibility. You can't magically regain credibility just by being right. Sarah and I talk all the time about how if you're in this to, to reach out, if you really do have the goal of outreach, you can't just be right. It's not enough to just be right. You also have to be smart. You also have to be strategic. So when it comes to honesty, for example, how many of you think that the Second Amendment is for everybody? Second Amendment is universal. All right. Was it always? No. No. The Second Amendment was not written for me. It was not written for Kevin and Sarah. It wasn't. And if you're talking to a person of color and the first thing out of your mouth is, this should be a uniting thing. Second Amendment is for everybody. Your credibility is gone. And this conversation may not be had openly, outwardly. Your audience may not even consciously think that. But I am telling you subconsciously, that's the quibble. Okay? If you're not willing to admit out up front that, hey, this started out on shaky ground. It wasn't written for you because back then you weren't considered a human being. If you're glossing over that part, then you're leaving out a huge chunk of the argument. So what you need to do instead, I, I, I would say, is figure out how you're going to make the, the, the next argument for why it's still for everybody today. Why that makes it even more crucial that folks in the black community, folks in marginalized communities, folks in minority communities should cherish that right even more. Sir. Uh, can we take that from a weakness to a strength? Meaning, this happened. It sucks. I can't fix it. I hope this makes it better because nothing says equality like the ability to protect yourself. Is, can we, if, I'm asking you to speak for your own experience. When someone said this right is yours, was that liberated? Was that empowered? Is that message accessible? Or is that just way, you know, 10 years down the road? So this is where it's helpful if you're going to be in the media business and if your goal is to reach non-traditional communities, um, to preach beyond the choir, so to speak then it's important that you master how to articulate the nuance of 
human right versus civil right, as Aaron was saying earlier, or how to articulate the fact that the right to self-preservation predates the Constitution. Because I'll tell you, there, there's, and again, I, I, a couple of folks have said this already. I, I am no more qualified to speak for all black people than any of those black folks that came up here. So take that as a, as a general disclaimer. But in the interest of time, I'm going to generalize here. Um, black folks are not as anti-gun as the stereotypes we usually believe. Black people got guns. That's honestly it's true. Black people are against a lot of the baggage that gets tacked on to the pro-gun community that is no longer treating the Second Amendment as a single isolated issue. And, and this is one of the problems with what Sarah was talking about earlier with gun, gun groups and um, pro-gun media outlets not being single issues. Lumping in politics with everything else they do. Again, if you choose to do that, and that's your conscious decision, that's totally fine. But if you lump together guns with immigration, abortion, health care, religion, all this other kind of stuff, then you're running some pretty substantial risks, I would think. You're risking losing all the people who agree with you on guns, but disagree with you on any of those other issues. And you're also risking coming across as, as inconsistent, quite frankly. You're risking undermining your own message. Why? Because if you say the Second Amendment is for everybody, and if you say that the goal is to codify your right as a human being, not as a conservative, not as an English speaker, not as a right-winger, not as a Christian, but your right as a human being to preserve yourself, which as a sentient organism, you have, I would argue, a duty to do. If that's what you're saying, but yet in the same breath, you are denigrating anybody who doesn't share your political beliefs, you're undercutting your argument. You haven't said out loud that liberals don't deserve guns, but that's your subliminal message, whether you intend that or not. And that's why Sarah didn't listen to your show. So Cheryl told me I'm out of time, but I'm going to there's a it's trendy now to trash political correctness. Everybody likes to say, ah, this political correctness is garbage. All right, fine. I'm going to be very apolitical or politically incorrect right now and tell you exactly what I feel. You guys, I generalization. By you guys, I mean pro gun folks who want the Second Amendment to survive. I hope in my heart of hearts that you want us around just for pure, genuine, altruistic. I believe that to be us, the case. I'll get to that in one second. Great question. I believe that to be the case in most But I'll tell you this. Regardless of whether you honestly just out of pure goodness want us around, I will submit that you need us. You need black people. You need women. You need young people. You need gay people. 
You need all of us. You need liberals. You need Democrats. You cannot save the Second Amendment by yourself with a dwindling, ever-decreasing segment of political society. I hate to break it to you. You can't. Physics tries it. So please, if you're really about anti-immigration or anti-abortion or pro-Christianity or whatever, that's cool. That's your stick. But if you're about pro-Second Amendment, think about all the folks who are also pro-Second Amendment who might disagree with you on a whole bunch of other stuff. And how much are you pushing those folks away? Be honest with yourself about that. Because we want to be here. But if I come here and all I hear is left this, left that, left this, or jihad this, or all. How many Muslims did I encourage to come here who I texted and said, you know what, I'm glad you didn't come. There's something on the menu tomorrow about jihad. Come on. You won't want to hear it. You won't feel welcome. I hate to do that. But that's what I have to do. So please, please don't put us in that position. It's so hard. Please don't make us do that. Don't make me choose. I choose my family. And guess what? They are liberal. They are Democrats. I'm sorry. I said this is a little rebuttal about what we Yes, please. And I understand exactly how to think this way. But the Second Amendment was always for me, just like it was always for me, even though the women didn't have the vote. And I know about slavery. But the Second Amendment was always there because the Second Amendment is pretty much the ability to preserve your own life. Now, that doesn't mean you can preserve your own right life, but you have the right to that life. Somebody can deprive you of it, but you have the right to it, and you should, you should be allowed to preserve it. And the Second Amendment is about the preservation of life as we know it now today. Absolutely. We always had it, and all of you, all of you here, no matter how different you are in whatever way you're different, and you're all different. Always had that right. Okay. You just couldn't exercise it. Well, well, then you didn't have it. That's my point. You got, so, so let me just, um, Cheryl's giving me a dirty little story. I'm going to close out. I appreciate what you're saying. This is very important. Really, really. Um, remember what I said earlier that it's not enough to be right? In my opinion, you are right. You are correct. Just like it is correct that people, human beings, should not be held in bondage. Slavery is wrong. That didn't stop it from happening. So you're right that even back then, even at the founding of the Republic, I, my black people and anybody else who was now oppressed or whatever, they all had rights. I agree with you. Okay? But if they couldn't exercise them, and this is a matter of nuance, right? So uh, my only point in, in saying strategy matters is that if you don't respect and acknowledge that nuance, it can't the, the harm from not acknowledging that 
is greater than the sum of its parts. It may feel to you like a quibble. I think that's how you introduce your comment. You say, I'm going to quibble with your point. It may feel to you like a quibble. It ain't a quibble to me. And I have, I have, I'm going to talk to you in the hallway about God. I'm going to close down. I'm going to cut off Aaron um, and, and Kevin. But I, I appreciate your point. I, I honestly do. I'm, I'm talking more about strategy. You are correct. I can see that you are right. But from a strategy standpoint, from a rhetorical and argumentation standpoint. Give so them now. So I'm sorry, Dan Long. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I got to turn this thing back the other way because we got a tall speaker coming up. So. Uh, and I'll have to turn it back again for, for experiment. Okay. Holy cow, guys. I hope everybody is taking notes and asking questions. And this is just such rich stuff. Coming up next, we have Mr. Kevin Dixie. He is the owner of No Other Choice Firearms Training and the founder of Aiming for the Truth. Ten minutes on the clock. Go. <laughs> um, you you can clap for me. Thank you. All right, so um, I'll be uh, quick, but I want to take two seconds and ask you to do this. Close your eyes, and I need you to emotionally put on your thick skin. Thank you, because if not, you ain't gonna make it through this. Okay. That being said. <laughs> We're talking about preaching beyond the choir, so I'm going to try to stay, stay on the focal point. First of all, I'm going to take out a ton of things I was even going to bring up because those two ladies, this thing is soared out the park. It's a lot of stuff I'm not even going to talk about because it's just it's being redundant, and I think it will steal from their shine. I think they did an awesome job presenting that message. So to you two. Um, so there will be some things that you know I, I will discuss. So you guys are are doing good work. Let me start by saying that, okay? Being in your position, putting out messages, speaking your points, and be willing and being willing to be attacked for it, right? That's why you're doing it in a public forum. I'm pretty sure there's, if anybody in here is putting out every single video and every single post and every single journal, and you're not getting any negative feedback, you are definitely doing it wrong, okay? So I, I can appreciate the fact that you are putting yourselves out there, and I believe that the one common thing we have in this room is fighting for gun rights. So, for that aspect of life, I can appreciate you and thank you. Now, let me hurt your bills. So, um, it's a couple of things that I, I think are being done wrong. So, we're talking about perspective. So, I will piggyback off Tiffany with one thing she said. And I think what a lot she was, she was really trying to get to you guys is understand the perception of people, right? And how they absorb it. So, I'll tell you, I just spoke at the Missouri State Capitol, right? A few weeks ago. And I asked for a crowd reaction or something, right? And these are 300, 325. Patriot beer bacon, right? These guys, and I mean, they, they believe in their two-way rights and they are not backing down. And I love them for that. That's, that's why I showed up. Love them for it. I said, hey, when I say 1776, give me your reaction. What do you think the crowd did? All over the place. I said, now this is about human beings, right? This is about the human right. I said, awesome. Now I want to pre-reference this because I told them the same thing. Understand, guys, we are an intellectual war. This isn't a physical war. We're in a war of intellect. So that being said, you need to understand perception of how people are perceiving. So I said, now, I'm going to say 1921. You guys, give me your reaction. What do you think happened? 
325 people, crickets, literally crickets. 1917, what do you think happened? Crickets, because the audience that you guys, and I'm not, look, this is not saying people are bad, okay? This is just, this is just about education. One of the things that I see a lot of times when it comes to us talking to the audience that we speak about the Second Amendment so, so often to is that we believe we know it all. And that is far from the truth. When you start, you stop cutting off education, you will stop learning, thus you are wasting your life. Okay? So that being said, let me teach you how you weaponize your help. Remember that. Weaponize your help. Here is that thing. If we are talking about fighting for gun rights, when I yell 1921 to a crowd and they have no response, that gives me a teachable moment. 1921,トウソオクホーム。ブラックワールストリートはですね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、
My program Aiming for the Truth. Aiming for the Truth is a holistic approach to dealing to the ground root issues of people and what I believe make them, makes them grow, go to violence, right? So how do we kill violence at its roots? In that, we deal with addressing mental illness. In that, we deal with reconstructing the family. We're teaching dads how to be fathers again. We are talking about conflict and how to identify conflict and how to pos positively uh, resolve it. We are talking about how to get your children into better educational systems. And everything that we speak about, we have a subject matter expert and the resources present to do real work. When I talk to these people about building equity, equity, value people into their lives, then I ask them, do you want to protect that value? Do you want to protect that equity? Right? Because if I talk to any of you and I say, Second Amendment, you are thinking guns, but you're thinking family, my loved ones, history, country. You have a train smoke of things that you understand that goes along with that, right? But what if your life didn't have that kind of value? What if you don't see things like that? Right? So at that point, I asked them about the insurance program to that equity you built. They, that insurance program being the Second Amendment. I can turn more people in this country pro-gun by not talking about guns than you can with all the radios and TVs that you want. Right? Because we are dealing with the human and we're giving those human resources. And one thing that I, not shaming this crowd, but this is something for you guys to take back to all your sponsors. And, and I'm pretty sure there are many people in this room that know millionaires. And this is something that I openly, openly congratulate organizations like the NRA. I openly love people like Cheryl because this, what I'm about to say is something they do on a continuous basis, whether you see it or not, okay? I have been on the receiving end of the positive end of what I'm about to say, but shame on the rest of the industry for not catching up with them too. And what I mean by that is this, when you go into your local communities, because see, let me tell you something, flat out, and I'm gonna generalize because I can't speak for every single black person. I can't speak for every single gay person. I can't speak for every single woman. That's not, these are not my jobs. What I can tell you is this. You aren't there. So don't you dare show up when it's political vote time and when you're trying to just get my attention or when you need to beat this person over here. So now you want the power that I, that I hold. What I will tell you is this. You aren't there. So when I see things go on in inner city communities or I see things go on in even suburban communities, I don't see the gun community. You don't want to see the gun community. When there's a cop that's been shot, I get the guns community response if there's a riot going on. That's about it. Or when somebody's coming out talking about taking guns. That's the only time I see you show up. When I see individuals in my community as far as businesses or entities, these entities are local hospitals, they're the local uh, charitable organizations. When we're doing anti-violence walks or when it's a, a young kid has been hurt or a family's house has been burned down, things like that. You see, the, you see the local hospitals, your grocery stores and all those kind of people donating funds and money, right? I don't see you. With aiming for the truth, I made sure it was 100% sponsored by gun companies. So now you are present. Now you are being seen there. When they look up on the banner, they see Enforce on the banner. They don't know who Enforce is before you walk in there, but they cared about you before you even knew anything about them. They didn't care about your votes. They didn't care about your money. They didn't care about anything but you. That's what you guys are missing. And that's what I mean by weaponizing your arsenal. Because I can take you places you can't go. Spending all this time talking into those radios and those mics and on those screens is doing what for you? You know what you're doing? You're trying to become the cool kid with your core audience. That's all you're doing. All you guys are talking to the same people. All of you guys are. And everybody that really doesn't mind listening to you, they're sitting back wondering, 
how do I approach this conversation without being insulted? How do I do that? And even beyond that, you don't take the proper time because I love what Sarah said about being tokenized. Don't think we don't notice that. Okay, don't, don't think we don't notice that. And another problem with that is this. You can spin your wheels, people. And I know I'm running short of time, so I'll try to make this quick. You can spin your wheels trying to debate for argument's sake. Argument's sake. Uh, a, a Democrat, anti-gun Democrat, because there, there, there are two different things. Anti-gun Democrat that's trying to take gun rights, and they're sitting having a discussion with you. And you guys are probably going to be throwing the same stuff back at each other that's just been repeated and recycled and just different flavor, right? So think about this. What about what's happening in those poor communities? I'm in the poor community, poor community. So what else you want to talk about? Well, blacks, I am black. So what do you want to talk about? Well, the, the, the police department, you need to understand how I spent 10 years with the, with the St. Louis City Police Department. What else would you like to talk about? Oh, well, the communities and families. Well, you, I, I'm involved in helping families every single day. You can see my community program. If you'd like to donate, we can get there. Well, you're not dealing with violence. Actually, we start off talking about everything but again. We only teach equity and value in people's lives, but they're not being violent. What else would you like to discuss? Crickets. I tell you all the time, and I will say this again before I leave, and I couldn't get to everything I wanted to get to, but I will tell you this. No matter what you do, if you aren't to their point, if you aren't inclusive of everybody, here is something you miss. Do you really think that gun control people are scared of you? Hell no, they're not scared of you. They're, they're frightened of me. You know why? Because I am, the, I am gun control's worst nightmare. Because I am the inconvenient black truth. The moment you start to realize that, and the moment you start to open up your airwaves, and the moment that you start to accept that intellectually you have been tapped out, and that you need to tap in for help, the moment we get guys that are just popular on YouTube that have access to four or 500,000 people because they can show them a rigid wedge, half of these guys I can run around and range two ways from Sunday. They couldn't keep up. So this is much more than about guns. We can do guns. You want to shoot guns? Anybody want to range that? We can go. At the same time, we're trying to reach people. And as long as we are stuck saying, oh, this is what I do. If you got access to a half a million people, give them to them because they need to hear another perspective. Yours is washed out. Now, I guess I got time for like one question. Any questions? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you what, because I'm all about this. I don't believe in um, um, arguing if you don't have a solution. I don't believe in bringing up points if you don't have a solution. So what I did, the last time we actually had a kid buying a gun in St. Louis City, a uh, seven-year-old kid uh, found the gun in mom and dad's room, picked it up, and shot and killed his nine-year-old brother, right? And so what I did is an immediate response to that is I put up a PSA video. And in that PSA video, if you can name them, I tag them in my local area. My gun, my my gun, ugh, my phone was blowing up from all gun people. I know a lot of gun guys. You you name the top guys down to the guys. Just I know them all. I can call up any gun guy you name. I can get a hold of them. That being said, I put out a PSA and asked for the St. Louis City area to open up every single rec center, which they already own, right? You don't have to pay. You don't have to rent it. Just open it up. And the gun industry was ready to come in and provide free tutelage, child safety programs. NRA was ready to donate, and SSF was ready to donate. We had the gun guys on deck. We were all ready to go. I had all the local NRA chapters ready to go. Everybody was ready to go. What do you think that the anti-gun people did? What was their response? 
They didn't say go away because they can't talk to me. They couldn't acknowledge me because I told you I'm their worst nightmare. Because we can't openly say, look at this guy that comes from that community that is saying, I have the resolution to the problem. It doesn't cost you any money. I openly say we would not discuss politics either side. That is a that is a prereq. You can't come in with shirts on, anything like that. This is about helping the kids, let's help the kids. Everybody from this side was like, yes, I am behind that. Everybody from the opposite side was, turn off your TV. Don't let anybody know you saw that. <laughs> right? So, do I have time for one? I gotta go. So you can talk to me out in the hallway. I will talk to you in the other Okay. Holy moly. You know what? You want to hear more of that? You definitely got to get on all of his social media because pretty much every day, that's what's happening. So Kevin Dixie, no other choice. All right. So very quickly before I bring Ms. Erin on, if everybody still has a pad of paper of any sort in front of you and you want to be in the drawing for one of the Polite Society podcast uh, cookbooks, uh, please put your name and your cell number on there and then we'll get them passed to the end of the row and picked up, okay? All right, now to wrap up. Okay. Two minutes? Well, then maybe we have a two minute pee break. Okay, fashion, fashion show people, the fashion show people, come see me. I'll get you your stuff. Practice is at six. The event opens at six, event opens at seven, fashion shows at seven thirty. Right. Tell me if anybody steals this.
And so I, I'm going to open up some questions so that in order to acquire, I want to help you. But here's a bullet question. Well, what do I say to a transgender person? Well, say hi. I, I mean, if you're feeling sporty, you can say, nice dress. Or, hey, you want to go shooting? All of these are really good. Uh, I want to give you a pro tip here. Do not begin a, actually, don't put it anywhere, but definitely do not begin. I've seen this so many times. Do not begin a conversation with, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but. Okay, good. You know where I'm going with this. Because that to a trans person or to a gay person or to whatever is to them the very equivalent of, well, I believe in the Second Amendment, but. And see, when you hear that, you immediately tune out. It, it was like Kevin says, like, no, don't have a conversation. If you start off a conversation with, I don't agree with your lifestyle, okay, well, why are you talking? Why are you bringing up a conversation about lifestyle? Why are you bringing up lifestyle in a topic that, that isn't involved? I'm, I'm butchering this. You know where I'm going with it. it you're bringing up outside subjects and trying to make it relevant when it has nothing to do with the subject here. And so with that said, uh, I want to make myself available to you as the transplaining. <laughs> if, if, if you have questions, yes, the, the transgender explainer, the transplainer, I'm, I'm like fabulous superhero. Um, and oh, one minute. Well, ask me a really involved question so I can talk. <laughs> so, so if people have questions, hit me up. Let's go. Kevin. Do you feel because of your, your choice of lifestyle, you feel more open to random violence to say that? Okay, choice. Okay, well, the, the lifestyle is, is a big topic as well. But and and I'm not I'm not picking on you, but but a, a lot of people bristle at that. It's oh, you're choosing to do it, which also means you can choose not to do it. It's it's a phase. It's 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 like my God. Period, my trans period. It's okay. Um, gentlemen in the audience, you have seen the women in your life, your wives, your sisters, your girlfriends, uh, complaining about how difficult it is to be a woman, the time it takes to look presentable, the amount of, of effort and money they put into things. Women, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so for me to say, no. I, I'm going to step beyond my privilege and I'm going to deliberately make my life harder means that my previous life, as easy and privileged as it's assumed to be, must really, really suck if this is comfortable and makes me feel natural. So it's 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 a choice in as much as it's a choice between life and death. It's a choice between I can be a functional human being or I can be utterly miserable and not really living just existing. Okay, I definitely appreciate that because I'm all about learning. But cool. so I wanted you to be able to answer the ultimate question, which thank you for that. Stuff. Okay. Because of you, yes. do you feel that you are more, do you believe people of every transgender are more likely to be victims of crime? Yes. Okay, that's what I'm thinking yes. Um The last time I checked, last time there was a stat on it and it's not a recent stat, I think it was like 2014. They were saying that actually not just transgender, but queer people in general, um, between one in five and one in four were victims of violent 
Okay, now that's, that's a pretty big percentage, 25%. It gets bigger when you realize that the self-reported queer community is only about 3% United States population. Okay, so there are more Asian people in the United States than there are LGBTQ people. We're a small minority, but we're hugely affected by violent crime. And that's why I strongly believe in the, not just the right to keep and bear arms, but almost a duty. I mean, people want to kill me because I'm me. No, screw that. I, I'm going to make it really difficult. Because I have a right to live as I am, <laughs> so long as I don't harm you. I'm not harming you. So you want to come at me? Okay, you better come strapped. <laughs> so I'm being shoot off the stage. I'm sure people have more questions. Hit me up. I'm very approachable. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. Go for accuracy. I will explain it to you. It's all good. <laughs> Podcasters, the next generation, going to tell us how we can stay relevant, how we can keep this information going into the, the future generations, the legacy of what we are doing. We have two awesome ladies. We have Amy Robbins, the CEO and founder of Alexo Athletica, and Emily Valentine, founder of Style Me Tactical, and together they are the hosts of Not Your Average Gun Girls Podcast. Welcome, ladies. All right, so uh, just taking a look out in this audience, we are going to guess that 90% of you have probably never heard of our podcast, Not Your Average Gun Girl. So instead of sitting here and trying to explain to you what we do, Welcome to the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. We are your hosts. I'm Emily Valentine from Stommy Tactical. And hey, everyone. I'm Amy Robbins from Alexa Athletica. We are your average gun girls and want to bring you a podcast that mirrors the way we live our lives. We are self-reliant, stylish, and eager to inspire women to feel confident in defending themselves while also staying true to their lifestyle. We'll be talking all things from concealed carry to our favorite lipstick and everything in between. This podcast is intended to support you. <laughs> all right, all right. So I hope that gives you a little bit better idea of what we're doing because, guys, we don't look like you. We don't sound like you. And I'm going to guarantee we sure as hell don't podcast like you either. And that is 100% okay. And I would even venture to say that that's a good thing. Um, when I got into the gun industry, I knew nothing about firearms. I got into the firearm community uh, just by chance. I started working with the NRA um, and hosting a show called The Noir Show several years ago. What I didn't realize was how disconnected me as a woman who absolutely wholeheartedly believes in the Second Amendment really felt on the outside of the quote-unquote gun community. And ever since then, I've completely made it my mission to bring all the other people and women out there who are there. They are there. They just want to be spoken to, and they just want to be reached, and they just want to have an entry point 
into the gun community. And how did we do that? Well, Emily and I, um, about a year ago, started Not Your Average Gun Girls because we wanted to speak to exactly that, not the average gun girls. People that loved their makeup, loved to fix their hair, loved to maybe even wear lipstick to the gun range. And they sure as heck loved to wear their tight, stretchy pants to the gun range and didn't want anybody telling us that that's not what we're supposed to wear to the gun range. And so we realized that there was a lot of other women that were out there just like us. And I gotta say, we were probably a little terrified when we started doing podcasting. We thought it was very overwhelming. There was going to be all this information. And who the heck really wants to listen to us anyways? We didn't really know. But we did figure out very quickly that we have an important message. And if there's anything that you can take away is that we have an important message to share. You just have to find the right platform to actually share that message. And we have found that with podcasting, it's a really easy thing to do. You can have get a microphone, um, if you can get a headset, and if you've got a laptop, you can podcast. And so the three important things we want to talk to really quickly, what we have found makes an effective podcast to get your message out, are the three C's of podcasting. Content, consistency, or caution. Hi, guys. So in terms of the three C's, so content really is where you need to put your focus on because that's going to bring people into listening. You want to provide value. You want to be able to give them something to come to and something that they can take away. And we do that by bringing on lots of uh, industry leaders, guests. We've had people um, from state come on and talk about different things from PCO care. We've had uh, veteran Green Berets talk about training and, you know, things like when to dry your gun. But we also have other women in this self-reliant lifestyle who have maybe, you know, have a really good story to tell that has been something that either they have unfortunately been a victim of some kind of assault and then they have, their life has led them to leave to owning a gun. And we talk about that, we share.
lot in terms of bringing it into social media where we, you know, um, we use an app or it's not an app, but it's an online, it's a website called um, Audiograms. And basically what you can do is you can take a snippet of audio from your podcast and you can overlay it onto an image and then the, um, the text of what they're saying will, like, as the person's saying it, you can read it. Um, if you go to our um, Instagram page, our Young Trend Girls, you can see a lot of them. But we use that for, you know, 30-second little snippets of something meaningful, meaningful that either AI said or really a lot of our guests have said to plug that on our Instagram and our personal Instagrams for our brands and also through Facebook and other social media channels. Because a lot of times, you know, just by having a title, that may not be enough. But if they hear something that... You know, one of our guests are saying, "I'm like, oh, that is really interesting. I want to go. I want to go learn more about what they're what they're talking about and dive into it." So it's important. Well, and, and why is it important? Because all of us know that in order to further this message and to continue the Second Amendment growing and to make sure that it's still a thing for our kids and grandkids and great great grandkids, is we have to reach the younger generation and we have to reach those people who feel like they're on the outside, the Amys, the Emilys, the the, the people who are they're there. The crowds are there, the women are there, the, the the younger generation is there and they're looking to connect with somebody. So when we have these social media platforms, um, podcasting for us is just a really simple, very inexpensive, easy way to connect with our audience. And what we love to do is spend time engaging with our audience. So a lot of times going back to content, that's one great way to engage with your audience is to figure out what topic today you want to listen to. Sometimes we want to always tell everybody what we think they need to hear and what, you know, because we have all the answers and maybe you do, maybe you really do know everything. That's awesome. But if you don't, sometimes you just need to find out what your audience wants to listen to. They've got questions. Women are coming to listen to our podcast who have never picked up a firearm in their entire life, but maybe they just like the fact that Emily wears Manolos with American flags on them um, to conferences. And then they want to hear what else she has to talk about. And so they will listen and they'll pick up some great tips and tricks. And then they don't know what you are talking about when you start diving into the really big ins and outs of a firearm. So we try not to keep it super technical all the time. We do dive in. Um, we want it to be very content rich and very content heavy when, you know, no matter if you're a gun expert or you're getting into it, you can find something of value. So we will dive a little deeper into certain, you know, what's the best gun to conceal carry which is a very hard answer. None of us can give a great answer on that, right? So, but I'm just saying like, there, there are ways to engage with your audience. The more you engage with them, the more you connect with them, the greater your audience is gonna be. And don't get us wrong, we aren't getting rich off of our podcast. This is not our moneymaker right now. <laughs> Everything that we do with our podcast is simply to support the, the brands that we're already building, the lifestyles that we're already living so that it comes full circle and we're able to say, look, you know, maybe you're getting a little snippet of what we're talking about on our podcast, but I live this life. I created an entire brand of active carry wear for women to consult carry because I believe in this. Like, it's not just something that we're podcasting about. Did you have questions? Depends. 30 minutes. We found that 30 minutes is a sweet spot for us. Um, when, when we're diving, that goes to consistency too and to the creativity. Like if you want to just sit there and rant and ramble on for a long time, it's, you know, you're going to lose your audience. We found that a sweet spot for us is about, we're kind of short. If we get all the information that we need, we don't need to just keep talking. 
So we've cut it anywhere between 25 and sometimes we've gone to 45 minutes before, just depending on what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're weekly. Yep. Yeah, usually yeah, that's one of those consistency kinks we were working out. We noticed that uh, the more consistent we are, the higher our listenership. Well, yeah, no, but it's very true. I mean, the more consistent you are, they, and yes, yeah. And we always encourage everybody to subscribe, 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 subscribe. Get that into your message as many times as you can, because they're going to get the alert that a new episode is out. And instead of just missing that we posted about it on our Instagram page or your Facebook. Yeah. Platform they're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, like they all have subscription features. So tell your audience to subscribe so they get that immediate alert once that episode is published. Yeah, mm -hmm. we let them know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Any other questions? Yeah, you said the currency is also currency. Caution, content, inconsistency. Yeah. Underline caution again. What what were the don'ts? Caution is simply a way, especially the importance of knowing, like within the Second Amendment community, when there is a sub subject that you might not be an expert on, be very, very cautious about what you're sharing about it. Fact check yourself. Uh, make sure that if you aren't the expert, you're actually bringing on someone who is an expert and can answer those questions because the chances are you don't know, your audience probably doesn't know it as well. Right. You know? No, so, <laughs> exactly. You don't want to be passing off bad information to them because they're coming to you for value. For content that you know they know that they can learn from you, so you don't want to pass that kind of information. And a lot of times, you know, we get people who send us our listeners send us questions through social media that they want answered during the podcast. So we'll answer those. And sometimes, if we don't know the answer, we always get back to them and say, "Hey, we don't know, but we're working on finding someone that's going to get this, and we're going to talk about it in you know X episode coming up." Coming up. No, we, we don't release them live. I mean, we have to record, we record on two different platforms. Literally, like if you're looking at getting into podcasting, um, we use two different programs. We use Zencaster and we use Zoom. And so we have two different audio tracks that we're able to record off of just in case, because we have to record in separate locations. And usually when we're calling in, um, we'll have our, we'll have our guest call in. Yeah, there might be some technical issues in there with, with some of the audio. You're just never, you never know. And so we use Zencaster. And Zoom is a video um, capability where you can actually, it's so much easier, guys, if you are going to podcast and you're going to have guests on it, when you can see them yeah. and you can interact with them and you can, the energy in your podcast is going to be so different if you can actually see and interact with them versus just listening to somebody over the phone or through your headphones or something like that. So, so what you do is you preview this and then you program that in Play and or yeah, Google Play and Apple iTunes and all that stuff. Question for one more question. Are we out? One minute. So, like, all your podcasts 
Audio or video or both? Sure, it's all audio right now. We we played around a little bit with uh, Google, what was it, Google, play, uh, Google Hangouts. We, we tried to Google Hangout one time and try to put it up on YouTube and crossover. And there's eventually we, we do have um, goals expanding it and putting it on video. But for right now, it's all audio through iTunes. Well, that's a good point because the file size is a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would like to download it and take it with them and whatever is going yep. on, they can listen to it. Mm -hmm. They're really listening and the video is whatever. Right. Yes. So, yeah, so the format that we use right now is strictly audio, um, but we, we are looking at some other options. So. A really great question. Um, it is always the planning, finding your guests. Um, there's some prep work that you got to put into it, you know. But we we've kind of got it down to a schedule right now. I would say like we probably prep. She preps a lot more. I mean, she does a lot more for it because she does all the creative side, making the audiograms and the pictures. And so I don't know. Emily's answer would be a lot different than mine. I probably prep like one or two hours. Yeah, I think for like one episode for a week, probably maybe like four hours. That includes prep work, the recording, um, getting the summary title written, you know, all that, and the um, social media images and graphics made about four hours. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to Dr. Dr. Kendall. All right. To be out of this room right at five o'clock, so that's why I'm going to rush the next panel and keep you like I'm going to be a taskmaster on your times. Uh, we've got three people coming up to talk separately about blogging, and you'll have seven minutes each in order to keep us on time. So we are going to start with Rob Morse. Rob Morse is the <laughs> the polite society. He's uh, on the polite society podcast. He does the Secrets Gun Stories podcast, and he also writes the Slow Facts. Blog that appears also on Ammo Land and Clash Daily. Seven minutes. Go. I've been at uh, blogging for about five years. I've got, just had my 3,000th comment in my 1,500 uh, post. Probably 200 of those are reposts, so for better or worse, most of those are mine. There is a hunger in the world for death. For every person who goes, that was a fantastic 120 years. For most people to go, and I want to know a whole lot more, and that wasn't even a good case. I don't even know the question. So, if you are intellectually hungry, if you're not, don't start a blog. <laughs> don't write about what you know. If you're someone who's a writer, and you go to your editor, write, hi, you only own me for eight hours, you need to get four things out of me. I'll ask you what you know because I need content going out. If you're going to do a blog, write about what you care about. Because that will go, here's what I see. Here's what I think. Here's what I'm going to go research. Now you're going to put that together 
and bring passionate content where you're answering your own questions. You're walking in with your questions. That's what's valuable. You write about what you know. You actually don't have a whole lot to say because the world is pretty darn complex. Take any subject, ask three lies, and you're in the picture. Well, good, that's your job. Go answer it. Go spread it. <laughs> the beauty of a blog is you can say, I thought this, I learned this. Here's where I concluded I have to stop because beyond this, the answer is I don't know. Maybe no one knows. You have to sort it out for your own circumstance. A lot of build credibility, help people with limitations. Hi, self-defense matters right up till you know, you might not want to go any farther than this because here's where you run into trouble. Uh, in my little uh, statue of a podcast, trying to keep about 15 minutes. Over and over. Hi, you might be able to do this. It might even be legal. Don't do you have the right to shoot somebody in your home? Are you the first owner? Is if somebody an ex-owner comes in there intoxicated. I had this happen to him. Former owners, the guys, those druggies shows up. He goes, this is still my house. And my brother goes, I'm just going to close the door and let the cops solve this because I don't care about staying your ground. I don't want to have any part of it. So there's so many bits of wisdom that you can bring. bring the human condition doesn't fit into what the sound like. Those are the Twitter <laughs> So start shallow. You get deep. All the little, after a while, you think you're an expert. Bring up all the little things that, oh, you learned that five years ago. Your audience, you want to talk to people, and I don't really care what the issue is. Is it fashion? Not everybody's, you know that not everybody's as sophisticated as you are with your sense, because those are the questions you get are, you kind of learned that. Okay, we'll go back there, right? Bring your audience along through your history. I'm not saying you are writing about them, you know, but not where you are, where you come from. Which open up to tell that story. It's sort of, you know, you have to be excited about where you came from, but that's a compelling story. I thought this. I learned this. I now think that's the human condition. Do you have that story to tell? I guess Bull is it arrogant to say that that's where we're going, but there's a universality about that experience that can bring. Here's, a, here, here's my little uh, wrap up why you don't want to tweet and why you don't want to do a podcast. Blogging is persistent. I've got 1,500 articles about in there. Every now and again, I'll look and somebody will grab something from two years ago. No idea. Often we're paper. And I'll get an answer 400 bits on an article. Somebody dug it up. Somebody can find any couple of words I've ever written. Sometimes they come back and criticize me about things that were written years ago. But that's fine. With search engines, all that's accessible. That's, if you do a podcast, it's contemporary, you do it, and then it's gone. Because other than the title and a couple of keywords, they can't search for it word by word. Was it a fashion tip? 
Was it a political commentary? You don't yet search all that audio by phrase. I put up show notes uh, for my podcast and in my blogs. Every one of those words is out there to be found and hopefully to be a resource to somebody like I'm going to pull a political move. I will yield my last minute to the next speaker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, we have John Richardson. He is a co-host of the Polite Society podcast, and he also writes the, his own blog. It's called No Lawyers, Only Guns and Money. Seven minutes, go. Kind of like your, I thought this was going to be a Thank you. Um, thank you. Okay. First of all, I'm a financial planner. That's just where the money came from. The money came from. Or I'm Devon, some lawyers spend some money that should have set the van. Well, I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be a lawyer. That's where it came from. And they also ought to call our panel the old bloggers panel. That's for some young podcasters. The first thing I want to say about blogging, it is probably the least barrier to entry compared to podcasting. YouTube, whatever else. I mean, short of doing Twitter, there's nothing easier to get started at than blogging. I could have gone WordPress. They said uh, it could cost you six dollars a month, and I didn't know how to do it, so I went with Blogspot. I picked a name. I linked it to my Gmail account. I took some pre written, pre-formatted uh, page, I'm done. There are still people using blogs, blogs on Michael Bay, very popular. TV person still using blogs on Dan Field, View from the Porch, very popular, still using blogs on It's not the world's best, it's not that easy to change stuff around, I can't check who has Link to me necessarily, whatever. <coughs> I've been blogging a little over eight years. I've had, if, the, if Google's stats are correct and my other things, somewhere over two million visitors, five million plus page views, and about 5,000 plus or minus posts. Um, what I like about blogging more than anything else is if you do a video, if you do a podcast, there's just a limited amount of information you can convey. We read much faster than we listen or watch. It's what Walter Cronkite used to say. You will get as much news. The more news than the front page of the New York Times, not going to recommend the New York Times, as you will in this 30 minute uh, newscast. If you read the whole paper, you get a lot more. 
Because that's kind of what blogging is. Um, the other thing I like to do with, I think you need to do with your blog, is you need to include graphics or pictures or an embed video that you can put all together. Because looking at a whole long page of gray text, people lose interest. It's like a two-hour podcast. At times, you're just going to tail off somewhere along the way. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I'll listen to the whole podcast. Two hours, probably not. Um, I also love infographics. They're probably the most popular post ever had. They're not going to work. I was real lucky. I got linked by the Instapundit, and I didn't realize I was going to get linked. So I come on the next morning, and all of a sudden, it's, the number of hits is going up by a thousand an hour. And I'm like, what the hell is that? But it was a thing called Every Picture Tells a Story. And it showed graphically how the population of the U.S. has gone from May issue to majority shall issue or permitless areas. And we've updated it over time. And I didn't create it. I had somebody come to me and say, I've got this information. I want to get it out. Can you help me get it out? I'm like, sure. And I think we're now up to like six, seven. So for every state that now has adopted, Constitutional carry will try to update it. Um, one last thing I'd like to say. There are people that will say that the blogosphere is dead, and they may be writing in the terms of the blogs as we know it. I don't see it as popular as it once was. I used to, and I don't know whether people are bored with me or what I write. I used to average somewhere 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 hits a day. 200 a day is probably what I'm getting now. It is what it is, but it's still to me the best way to get out a lot of information to get out research. I'm running a series right now on state party platforms. What are they saying about guns? So far, I've got 15 states. I've got another 35 for the Democrats and then 50 for the Republicans. So, it's I can't say that I'm going to look at it. I knew it in the beginning, but sometimes life gets in the way. Now I've lost the podcast and I've got to create a little combination.
history from probably many of you, uh, but something that in common with some of you. Uh, I grew up in South Georgia, in the deep south, uh, during the Jim Crow days, so I I know some of what went on there. Maybe my experience would have been different, let's say, from uh, what Kevin mentioned earlier, but still, uh, you know, you, you can learn from your experiences and what you see. And, uh, I have, I have been a researcher and an amateur historian for, for many years. And one thing that I really did a lot of research on and have written out on in my blog is about the history of uh, gun laws. And uh, I don't, uh, as I said, I don't have Kevin's experiences and his knowledge, but I do know that uh, Tennessee law, where I spent many of my years, uh, current law is specifically modern things and other slave codes. And uh, I welcome you to go and search some of that yourself or look it up on my blog. A blog by the name is, by the way, Good Hill Press. Why uh, do I blog? Mainly uh, audience reach. I can write a letter to the editor, which I encourage any of you to do, and I'll reach a, a, a community, a, a relatively small community. Uh, or I can uh, put something on my blog, and over the the last several years, uh, I saw like a million YouTube videos uh, or something like that. But uh, uh, 250,000 people uh, uh, that have looked at my blog one time or another, uh, my Good Hill Press blog. When I lived in Knoxville, uh, 120,000 people uh, have have at least clicked on it. Uh, 800 in the recent month, and that blog has been inactive since I left Knoxville over a year ago. Uh, the blogging, uh, in contrast with social media, gives me the opportunity to actually research these issues and, and provide links, which I do. 
when I was working on a degree, I had to do all this research and, you know, you have to give all your references and stuff. So my brain is sort of doing that way. So if I put something in there, then and you can follow it and you can see what I saw. You don't have to take my word for it. I also use the social media. Uh, when I put a new blog post up, I'll finish it on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, something that's actually sponsored by the Second Amendment uh, Foundation is uh, Keeping Bear Arms. I'll put a link on there. How many of y'all know about Keeping Bear Arms? Some of you. Check it out. Uh, anyway, I, when I do that, I get this from there too. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, and if you look at it, you say, well, why does this guy bother? Uh, but, you know, I put a few things up with your experiences. One of which is, was really unique for me. Uh, I interviewed Donald Trump before he became president. Uh, uh, I have credentials with the NRA for, uh, for press credentials. So when I, when he was speaking at the NRA meeting in Nashville, he was asking for the press to come meet with him. And all these reporters came out and asked him all these economic questions and such. He turned to walk his way away, and I said, "Hey, how about a gun question?" And he turned back and I asked him a couple of questions. He answered, and then he was gone. Um, it's up on YouTube. But what uh, did you ask him? Pardon? What did you ask him? It, it was about the uh, national reciprocity, and, and his his final answer was, "Well, I will totally look into that because I'm a believe, big believer, you know." So. <laughs> Anyway, that, that was typical uh, President Trump. Um, okay, but why do I do all this? There's certainly not been any money to speak of uh, for me in it, but I guess the bottom line is somebody has to speak up. Uh, if we stay silent, then, then the story doesn't get told. Uh, and another thing is, is the there is a constant struggle for power in the whole world. In the United States, it's a, a struggle for power. And in a way, it's a struggle for power between those who want to concentrate power and those who see the power as best in distributed to the hands of the people. And, and that's really where we are with firearms, as far as I'm concerned. If the government has all the guns, then we can take a look at history at the last century and we can see what happened there uh, in uh, Germany, in the Soviet Union, uh, in uh, Cambodia. Talk about making a difference in the world. Paul Potts sure made a difference over there in Cambodia. He killed a bunch of people. And last thing I would say is, uh, Wherever you're at in this in this journey, whether you decide to blog or do anything else, um, be willing to take a chance. Be willing to speak up. Be willing to do TV interviews, but learn. And you'll probably make some mistakes, but learn from those mistakes and keep doing it. Um, and find people that have done it successfully and learn from them. Um, I mean, y'all heard my my interview on NPR back in May. Well, I uh, that's just because he knew about it. Anyway, a guy just stepped up to me and said, would you be willing to do an interview for NPR? 
uh, oath or hatchet talk. But I went ahead and did it anyway, and, and they did me a fair job. So uh, you've you got to learn how to deal some of the questions. And with that, I'll take any questions. Yes, sir. Um, are you writing about how, as relates to your uh, observation about uh, beware the government getting control of the guns? Oh, I've, I've done some extensive writing on that. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm building up to something. Okay. Now we see the existence of an anti-American deep state within the government. So there's like one patriotic American attitude within the government, and then we see the anti-American attitude. That's what's going on right now. Okay. So I think we'll have to discuss that? that after the after the side. How long do you want your posts to be? I cover the subject. I usually try to keep them fairly short, like I'm doing right now. But uh, uh, sometimes, depending on the subject, they can get quite long. Okay, our last speaker of the day, we have. Stephen Gutowski. He is a writer with the Washington Free Vegan. He's going to talk to us about how we can watchdog the mainstream media, call them out when they do things incorrectly, try to correct the record with our efforts, and as he approaches the microphone, due to great applause, we will remember that he's famous at least to me for his work uh, watchdogging a little reporter known as Katie Curry. So you can uh, remind folks what that's about. Yeah, Katie Curry tells a story. Remember, and I think people like Katie. Um, there's certainly a section of the media. Um, that are beyond uh, reach, right? Certainly there are some reporters in the media that simply don't want to learn more than what they think they know. They're not interested in um, getting the story right. And that's unfortunate. It's very, very unfortunate, uh, regardless of the topic when the reporter accidentally uh, my message today, though, is that most reporters don't act they're not want to get the facts right, and most reporters want to get their story. Um, uh, you know, as a reporter myself for the Pre-Deacon, uh, I think that's what I strive to do. I mean, that I know, there's a percentage that aren't interested in that uh, and are ideological to the core, but there's a much larger percentage that want to get things right uh, in the same way. And I think these are the people that um, can be reached, that can uh, talk the facts, that can uh, do good journalism when informed. Um, and I think that's what we should focus on. So a lot of the focus um, from the conservative side of things, from we're talking about media, uh, criticism tends to focus on that percentage of, of media figures and journalists who have no interest in uh, accuracy or fairness. 
And it's, it's kind of just yelling at these people over and over again. Um, and I don't know that that really accomplishes too much. Obviously, it's perfectly uh, acceptable to criticize somebody who's, who's uh, made an error or is intentionally deceiving people. Set the record straight, and that's important to do. But today, I want to talk a little bit about um, trying to deal with the rest of the media that uh, aren't ideologically committed to uh, a certain uh, viewpoint on guns and who are more interested in presenting uh, facts. Because I think those people um, are the ones who could have more, um, make more progress with. And I think that that's something that oftentimes gets overlooked. And the key to me um, when trying to influence or um, educate some uh, somebody like that, a reporter who's perhaps interested in, in getting their stories correct, but does not have the knowledge level about firearms necessary to do that. Because I think that is a large percentage of uh, the, the kinds of Mistakes, correctable mistakes that we see um, in the media come from people like that. They, they're honest reporters, they want to get things right, but they simply don't know. Uh, and they, they might be hearing, um, you know, a set of facts or a set of information from uh, the gun control side of things that simply is misleading or incorrect. Um, and they just don't necessarily know that that's the case. And a lot of times, what they're hearing from uh, people more knowledgeable about firearms, how they work, the laws surrounding them, um, is just yelling. Just, a lot of times it's just the media is biased and everyone in the media is biased. And I'm not going to deal with even trying to help this reporter figure out what the truth is here. And I think that's the wrong approach and that's counterproductive. Um, and I think, you know, you can have a much better impact by forming, uh, you know, a sort of professional, respectful relationship with reporters, even reporters who've made mistakes in the past, uh, as long as they're open to hearing, um, you know, the, the truth, uh, they're, they're open to, to hearing verifiable facts, then you can make progress with people like that. You can help them improve their own reporting. Uh, and, and I think, in fact, that they would probably appreciate that. If you, if you approach someone, a reporter, who's writing about a gun story, or, or even someone who's written about a gun story has perhaps made a factual error, or doesn't understand how a law works, a gun law works, uh, and you approach them with information to show that this, this is an error, here's how you can report this better in the future or correct things that you've already done. Um, if you do that in a respectful way, you, you talk to the reporter like they're a human being, right? I mean, that's, that's certainly something that I think everyone can work on doing uh, just generally in conversation with one another in, in politics, right? But, um, but you'll have a much better chance of um, influencing that person. And I, this is something that I try to do in my personal career um, whenever I'm interacting with other reporters. It's just to try and show them, first of all, the verifiable facts of the matter, like, the basics of gun law, the basics of how firearms function. Um, there's a myriad of different things uh, that you guys are probably far more knowledgeable about when it comes to firearms than your average reporter is, um, just by the nature of your interests. Uh, just being at this conference, you probably know something about guns, something more than 
uh, your average reporter at a local ABC station or uh, even at your, your local paper or even at the New York Times or the Washington Post. Um, I, mean, I think that's just, I think it's just true. I mean, just generally reporters, there, there aren't a lot of beat reporters for firearms. I'm one of the only ones. And so reporters that write about firearms in the media are doing so uh, as a general assignment. There's someone who doesn't know a lot about firearms. They don't follow firearms politics or policy. And they're just, we're assigned a story about that has to do with firearms, and so they don't have that base of knowledge that I might have or, or a few other reporters who uh, follow guns for a living do, or you guys uh, as well. And so they, they honestly are making mistakes that are probably driven more by uh, lack of knowledge than ideology um, in most cases. Not in all cases, of course, as we all know, and certainly. Uh, written plenty of stories about Katie, Katie Kirk's of the world and um, how there's mistakes or no. It's not true necessarily by ignorance, although that probably plays a question. But my point is, reach out to your local reporters, reach out to your national reporters, try to approach them respectfully. Um, you're going to win more uh, influence that way. You're going to have more, they're going to be more willing to talk to you, listen to what you have to say. Uh, and if you have a legitimate, you know, complaint about something they've written or, or have something useful that they can uh, add to their reporting, I think that they'll listen to you. Uh, they'll be more prone to do so. Um, I think that's, that's important. I think that's the most effective way of, of uh, improving the media's coverage of firearms. I mean, beyond, you know, the problems with institutional problems of, there not being a lot of firearms e-reporters, like I mentioned before, um, but that's not something we can necessarily change ourselves. Uh, whereas reaching out to reporters, communicating with them, being open to being interviewed by them, I think is also a big help. It is certainly, and perhaps understandably, um, the reputation that the firearms community is not very willing to speak to reporters. Um, I'm not saying just go talk to anyone that comes through your doorstep, look into who they are and whether they're going to do a fair treatment because some of them won't. But I think most of them from right now will try to be fair to you. And that your voice being in their story is going to give a better uh, picture of how things really are um, than your voice not being there, uh, than just, just the gun control. Whatever. So, you know, that's that's my main recommendation, I think, um, for you know, gun rights supporters who want to see better coverage from the mainstream media is try and try and engage with people who are willing to be engaged with. So. Um, I agree with you. There's no firearms beat, but the firearms beat would be the crime beat, the cop yeah. beat, and the court beat. Right. And you said most reporters want to do an honest job. So what percentage of the reporters would you say at the three networks, the Post and the Times, do a fair job on firearms and self-defense? I mean, I, you know, honestly, I think the majority of your average reporters, the people actually writing news stories, uh, less so the people who are, you know, 
produce posts on a K1 networks or something like that, but those people aren't really the ones going out doing the reporting, right? They're just sort of reading the news. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I have something of a print bias as a print journalist, but um, you know, I think most of them want to be fair. Even, even the ones who are um, more ideologically uh, driven and open about their, like they work for an outlet like um, the Tracer. Well, uh, three networks to post in the Times. I mean, I think most reporters at those outlets try to be fair. Um, but why doesn't it show when they're reporting? They're reporting on firearms is all negative. Just about all negative. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's, there's plenty of reasons that go into why media is the way they the way that it is. I think there's a tendency to like sensationalism. So you see a lot of coverage of shootings. There's a lot of self-defense kind of shootings kind of thing. Show. Yeah, no, I mean I agree. And I think part of it is just that the reporters aren't they're on the crime beat, right? Like you said, most firearms coverage either is from uh, general crime cops and force. general sign reporters or crime reporters, and so they come at it from a very different perspective than people who are following the gun the, the gun community, gun owners. Criminals right? who get shot. That's sure. sensational, but it doesn't get covered. But you seem to think that it does. That no, they're well. neutral, that they're fair, that they're balanced, but it doesn't show. No, I think there's definitely a, a, a bias towards sensationalism, towards negative stories, generally towards crime, and so that's the way that most gun stories get covered. Uh, if you're looking at like the volume of it, I think that's true, and that's that's an issue at an institutional level. Just like I said, at an institutional level, the fact that there aren't a lot of reporters focused on guns uh, from a policy and uh, from a community standpoint is a problem. But it's not a problem that we're going to be able to, people in this room are going to be able to solve. Whereas you can focus on trying to engage with reporters that are writing uh, you know, gun stories that do come up um, and trying to engage with them, whether they're local reporters or national reporters, like you're talking about. Uh, obviously, national reporters are a little hard to, a little harder to get to, and there's not as many stories coming up about guns. But um, I think that's where they can be most effective is trying to engage with them and make their coverage better. Um, sure. uh, there was a recent Saying that the industry is neutral towards guns by any means. Certainly, editorially, most papers are anti-gun. I think that's obvious, right? Uh, and certainly, uh, the people who—the thing is, the people who make the, the decision on what gets covered and what doesn't aren't your beat reporters. They're not your average reporters. They're the editors. Um, and certainly, there's that. And, and I would and I would say too also that uh, your average beat reporter probably is a liberal and probably has some. 
maybe from the gun control perspective, but I think their overall driving purpose is to try and get a story correct. And they might not even realize that the way they're recording something is is biased or is is not as fair as it should. So I think that's where if you talk to these people, you have you engage with them and not just negatively always yelling at them about mistakes, right? Then they're gonna be more likely to keep to listen to you, right? So um after the policy they we got inquiry role of the country. Yeah, I was one of them, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, guys, don't hate on us, okay? Don't hate on us. We actually managed to actually get positive press. Like, I, I was part of a positive thing on the CBS News in Los Angeles. And the other side would use, the, all they would do is release a statement. And the news piece that came out was the other side advocated nonviolent responses when you're dealing with a mass shooter. But CBS made the other side actually look horrible. You know, health grows over. So I think it has to do with, it may, may have to do with who our messenger are, which is why we need people like Sarah. Yeah, just find gentlemen here in the corner and pray. Sure. sure. Maybe that may not be necessary. Who our messenger is on the gun, maybe many actions sway them. Yeah, I think it has an impact. If, if a journalist is thinking of a gun owner as one thing and then they see something else. That's going to make them more curious. In, in my personal experience, I think it comes down to controlling that narrative and walking through those interviews with clear expectations of the way your message is supposed to be delivered to the audience and also not being greedy. And if it doesn't meet those expectations, you have fully out of that situation. Yeah. I had the only negative situation I've ever had is when I did an article for a Russian television. And it was just it was a communication barrier. I, I just pulled out and got out of the situation. But other and I deal with kids and young, they have two hot button issues. And I just I have to stay on point and stay on message and control that narrative in that way that can't really communicate to the counter what I'm saying. Yeah, it's always it's always important to know what you're getting into when you're going to this kind of interview. But I think I would encourage everyone to try and interact more with them. Looks like time's up, so. Anybody else? Last second? No? Okay. All right. I'll be around. Well, we are into the home stretch, and I'm going to turn the floor over for closing remarks to Mr. Paul Lathrop. I am so very pleased to see you all here. I've been up, you all must have noticed, I have been absent for most of the afternoon. I'm upstairs, we are setting up the broadcast for Gun Rights Policy Conference this weekend. And I'll be actually watching it when we go, uh, when we go home, I'll be watching the whole conference. But I want to thank you all for being here. I want to, when the idea for AMCON came about, it was March of, of 2017. We pulled it off in September of 2017, and it was okay. I thought we did okay. 
And I asked Cheryl and I asked Amanda to come and help this year. And not only did they come help doing the hosting, but they helped with the, the, the gathering of the speakers. They have helped with the organizing and I think it brought it up a level. And I gotta say to my beautiful wife, Susan, standing there in the back of the room, sweetheart, you earned that award. She, uh, I'm serious though, she put in countless hours and more as time got closer uh, in making sure the, the administrative work, the, the, everything you see on the website is because of her uh, and the, the, the changes and the redos and uh, this person's coming, whoops, no. And then we get Hurricane Florence and, and everything, but she went through it like a trooper. And, uh, and folks, this would not be happening without her. It just, there, there's just no way. Lastly, I want to thank each and every one of you because we could put this thing on, but if you don't show up and you don't use what is learned here, why? And seeing all the members of the media that care enough to take an extra day out of their <clears throat> lives to come and learn. I, of the people in the, pe the people that are here in the media, I can think of maybe two that are paid. Everybody else is paying to get the message out and they're paying to come here. This doesn't cost anything, but it costs you money to be here. And I want to say thank you for the dedication to improving your craft. Uh, one last thing, and, I'll, and I'm going to, because honestly, we need that board, we need that computer, and we, we don't need the webcam, but we need the board and the computer desperately upstairs right now. So I'm going to be shutting everything down just a few minutes early. But I want to, again, those feedback forms are extremely important. It, it really, what you tell us is what this year is what you want to see, is what you'll get to see next year, is what you'll get to uh, experience. So. Again, I uh, and I have a I have a beautiful redhead walking up towards me. We have a cookbook. We have a cookbook that's giving getting away. How about okay? Well, um, let's gotta make them all the same size. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, electronic muffs at that. Somebody's getting a deal. Is my name in that drawing? Okay. Um, yeah, it would be really nice if we had it by the end of GRPC. It would be beautiful if we had it back by the end of the night. Um, Okay. Which one are we drawing for first? Which one are we drawing? We're drawing for the cookbook right now. And the winner is. Charlie Chambers. Charlie Chambers. Awesome.